So we're here with Carly Tardiff, degree in human resources. First of all, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so yes, a degree in human resources. You are involved with Chain for Change, so help raise over $145,000 for Cancer Care Manitoba. You're also a part of Run Your Lungs Out as a committee member. So again, 30000 raised for Cancer Care Manitoba. And also, I believe co-creator, right, of Winnipeg is Good. So the No, I'm the full creator. Full creator. The, full the creator. sole creator. Yeah. Awesome. Other than Give Patrick Laine, of course. Other than, yes, the yeah. slogan Patrick Laine was yeah. the uh, creator. And uh, so $11,000 raised for Salome Mission and then had a part two in conjunction with Mayor Bribe. Brian Bowman to raise funds for the Rainbow Resource Center. And then now you have, you've organized the Sports Bra Squad, so a weekly free running community. And you're also a committee member for Cancer Care Manitoba for the Guardian Angel Gala. Many hats, apparently. Yeah, and, say, it, makes you, it makes me sound like I do a lot or something. <laughs> apparently. And media and public relations chair for the Wild Winter Canoe Race. So to start us off, what gives you the drive to help people and be involved in so many philanthropic projects? Um, I just feel like I had a really great upbringing and I'm really lucky with my family and everything. So I just want to give back to people who might not be and my health, obviously, like I'm really healthy for now. So if I, if I can help people who aren't like, that's all I want to do. Well, that's the thing. I think with a degree in human resources and I took a community development and recreation management degree. So it's that drive to want to help people and just whatever they're going through in life. It's like how you can equip them to be better suited to deal with whatever they're going through, or even if it is being able to fundraise money for different um, venues and, and places that do help people is just, it's a great way to give back. So did you get a lot of that through your human resources degree? To be honest, no. Um, <laughs> Was that through University of Manitoba? No, I went to that school in Thunder Bay. Oh, okay. And I, I don't know, like, I wasn't sure that I even wanted to pursue human resources, to be honest. And after I finished school, I sold all my stuff and went to Thailand. Oh, wow. And I ended up back in Winnipeg, or back in Canada, back here in Winnipeg. And I, I kind of started in human resources, and now I work for a startup company. So cool. it's kind of been like a... So a, a definite transition between human resources to like being, I think, startup, just the energy around it, too. I spent a little bit of time uh, when I was looking at pursuing youth programming there's some co-working spaces. So oh, yeah. Just, Those are fairly new, right? Yeah. There's yeah. one. Uh, downtown Winnipeg has one. And uh, I looked at just... What's, what's co- sorry. What's co-working <laughs> spaces? Is that like two different companies working in the same space? Or? So so essentially this one, um, I believe it's called North Forge, but they have, uh, they have a company, but then they have working space within that company. And it's typically a lot of... Uh, they have access to things like 3D printers or woodworking or all sorts of different things. But... I wanted an office space to work from and just to be able to be around people who are going through similar things mm-hmm. I thought would be really helpful. I actually found a space to work from that was free. So <laughs> I worked from an office within an office. So basically my own little co-working space. And funny enough, that was that was a lot of computer programming for cancer software. So it was interesting to be around people who were doing it maybe at a different level, but were still going through the intro phases of actually creating a business. And there's something about that energy that's just, I don't know, it's, it's invigorating because you, when you're around like-minded people who are just creative and constantly building, mm-hmm. it's, it can be a really cool and rewarding experience. So maybe how, what's your experience been with being part of the startup energy? Um, well, actually, the company I work for, Funding Change, they worked a lot with North Forge. 
So um, my experience so far has been really good because it's a fairly new company, but it's very flexible. And there's only four of us day to day. So there we wear a lot of hats. Like um, I do marketing stuff. I do some human resource stuff. I do sales. So um, I think it's just really eclectic and I've been learning a lot there. Yeah. So do you feel that the philanthropic projects and, and the experience that you've had from some of the things that you've done in the past has translated towards now what you're doing in terms of being able to wear all those hats and do a bunch of different things? Yeah, directly, actually, because the company I work for, um, they have an online raffle and draw platform that nonprofits can utilize to fundraise. So a lot of places I've worked at, like, it kind of overlaps. Nice. So with the Winnipeg is Good campaign, what was the inspiration to make the shirts to support Salome Mission? Um, well, the shirts themselves, like, it came from me reading the Patrick Lyon Players' Tribune article to my sisters, and we were laughing about it. And I Googled if uh, there were some shirts being made because I was like, I'd wear a shirt that says Winnipeg is good. <laughs> so I Googled it and actually uh, North Flag had one, but it was really, really small print. And it was just a long, or it was a long sleeve and I wanted a crew neck. So I was just like, oh, I'm just going to make my own. So I made myself one and I wore it to a Jets game. And a bunch of people approached me and they're like, hey, I would wear that. Yeah, where did you get that? Right? Exactly. Yeah. I was like, oh, I made it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so like, you should make more. You should sell these. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to sell someone else's quote, I'm going to raise money for something because I'm not going to profit off this. And it just evolved into, like, a sweater for a sweater kind of thing. So Asylum Mission was a perfect fit. That's super cool. That's I, incredible. Yeah. Thanks. And I think it all coincided really well with, I mean, the Jets being in the playoffs. Perfect so timing. So much excitement yeah. around it, too. And one of the things is, like, even in wearing the shirt, it, it's almost the feeling that you get from behind it is just, like, the quote that Patrick Lina just, in his broken English, saying, Winnipeg is good. Yeah. But then when you really come to think of it, though, like, even walking down the street, I know it's not one of yours. I'm apparently a poser. <laughs> no. um, Riley's wearing a ripoff shirt. <laughs> <laughs> apparently a ripoff. I think it's from the Jet store because there's an official logo on there. But uh, but no, the even the looks that you get from people walking past, you're like, yeah, Winnipeg is they good. They smile. It's yeah. so nice. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just an awesome energy behind that too. But I found I even find putting the shirt on puts me in that state of like, yeah, there are good people and good things happening in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So it's just you can kind of get encompassed and entrenched in that and then it just builds from there it's like those like small niceties become really easy it really should just be the slogan of the city at this point seriously you know yeah. back in the what was it before what is it now actually when friendly it, manitoba, friendly manitoba license plates oh yeah i don't but, know if we have an official maybe latin saying but i know it used something. to be spirited energy back i think like a decade ago they came up with spirited energy and everybody I don't know what that means everybody hated <laughs> it so much that they actually had to change it like so, part of the continent, maybe? Part of the it? continent, that that's it? what it is now, okay. yeah. So yeah, I think Winnipeg is good is even better. I agree. Yeah. Spirited Energy, I think that was on the hydro building at one point. Oh, yes. they paid. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. So so it was basically, so that quote and then just wanting to do a good thing in the mm-hmm. philanthropic side of things. Yeah. So have you always been a Jets fan? I haven't. I used to be a Devils fan. Ooh, oh, ouch. God, how did that happen? <laughs> Um, I think it was 1999. I watched my first ever Stanley Cup Finals, and the Devils won. And I was like, "That's my team." Literally, that's that it. simple. Scott Stevens and Brodeur; those are my guys. I remember that era too. It was, there, awesome. it was a magical era in hockey because I think around that time I would have considered myself a Colorado Avalanche fan because <laughs> they were just exciting. They had the Zombie Nation goal song too, which is still one of the best. Okay. Even when the old Jets were playing, I think Pittsburgh was my favorite team over them. You were doing it wrong. Back when Lemieux <laughs> was playing, though, come on, come on, Teppo Newmanin, Timu Solani. There's all all the All Stars. Nikolai Habibul. I think I could name almost the whole entire roster 
of Jets in like 95, 96 really? before. That's crazy. Maybe, yeah. maybe don't quote born. me on that. But actually the funniest thing of that, I, even until a couple of years ago, we had the Jets going away CD. There was a whole, and it was a bunch of local Canadian artists that redid their hit songs, but with Jets players and like songs about the Jets. Really? It was but- like, I That's don't want to sing it. Cause I want you to sing it. You brought yeah. it up. Alexei is one hot river Russian jet. And that was BTO. That was Bachman Turner Overdrive. <laughs> oh, God. There was some other great hits on that entire CD. So I feel like you need to post that, like the soundtrack. I think I found Watch a couple it. of them on YouTube. So somebody beat me to it and already uploaded it <laughs> for the world to hear. Because I need to hear this. Yeah. It was pretty magical. <laughs> and you should remake them with your amazing voice riley well it's hard without any music i mean it's not recording or like studio (laughs) quality recordings come on but i guess well funny enough i feel like the recording equipment has come such a long way since then probably does sound almost better (laughs) all the digitizing and stuff so how do you feel about the jet season and what they were able to accomplish it was amazing but it was heartbreaking i feel like the city went into a depression after yeah, I think that was going to happen anyways because people were like going out every single weekend and spending all their money. I think it was yeah. almost like, I remember, so when the Jets first made the playoffs, I was actually bartending at the Pint, so downtown. And even though we were four and out the first time we made the playoffs, it was like after four nights of bartending before <laughs> and after Jets rushes, it was like, God, I don't know how many more rounds I could do. It was this. tiring. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was crazier this time around too because they did so well in the playoffs. There's yeah, so many rounds. And Kate, you know, like after Christmas when everyone's in that rut because they just spent so much money on gifts and everything. I feel like that happened. Yeah, oh, that happened after. except Jets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was post Jets. It was yeah. cool to see it grow though. The party around MTS oh, Center, and yeah. then there were like different street parties and yeah. and even tents and stuff that you could go to. But just the energy, I think. Well, it was really cool being part of when the Jets came back and that energy of just partying at Portage and Maine and just, it just didn't matter who you were, you were celebrating the Jets coming back and it created, I would say, unity within the city. Mm -hmm. And then to actually now, however many years later, I guess five or six years later, I'm trying to think of when the Jets, 2012, I think was the first. When they were in the playoffs? No, I think that's when they came back. Uh, Yeah, 2012. Yeah. So we're what six seasons, seven seasons in, and yep. now to six, six just passed. Yeah, yeah. So it's exciting to just have a team. It's like I think we've really built in the right way and brought the right kinds of people in. Yeah. And now it's, I, I thought even going into the playoffs, it's like make it to the third round would be an amazing feat just for the city and everybody, and to have excitement around hockey again. And then obviously it is heartbreaking to lose to Las Vegas, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially. Did you guys watch the intro? To the games like the Las Vegas games. Yeah, they were the so night slaying They were really, I mean. There's too much. <laughs> the night versus the jet or whatever. Yeah, the like... jet coming at him and he's attacking. <laughs> I thought that was maybe the silliest thing. Just because they have too much money there. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's very much the show-oriented place. Like, everybody, everybody once they're done their actual career. Yeah. You think that's bad? Wait till they get their football team. <laughs> they're getting a football team, too. Well, yeah, the Oakland, the well, Oakland now, Raiders are formerly the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. They're the L.A. Raiders, and then they're going to go to Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, next season, I believe, right? This is the last season for them in, as a Raiders. I don't know if their name is changing. No, the, it's there's too much money in having the Raiders. 
because they've always been the, the black sheep team. Yeah. And they have such a great history that goes along with it. I know this is probably... I, was gonna say, I know nothing. <laughs> I'm, know just nothing. Like, I'm learning something today. You know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, they just have so much of the history that when they shift over, it just makes it sense. It makes sense, yeah, for sure. They keep their original fan base and everything. Then. So I also wanted to know what impact you were hoping to have with all these projects on the community and the world? I know this is a pretty heavy question. But. No, it is. And I've been asked this before, actually. Um, basically, I just wanted to promote inclusion. And just whoever you are, it's something that can unite people, especially the Winnipeg is good thing. There was people buying these shirts who had no clue about hockey. But, um, like, we created a hashtag and had people, like, kind of, you could click on it and just see other people wearing it. And then it's, like, on the street, people are coming up, like, I'd be wearing my sweater. People would come up and be like, oh, hey, nice sweater and stuff. Like, oh, yeah, he sold it to me. Like, I don't know. It was just like that sense of community and including everyone together. Do you have uh, plans or have you thought about, like, creating something that can go more national rather than, like, Winnipeg is good and awesome locally, but something mm-hmm. that can go almost Canada-wide? I haven't. <laughs> something I really works? haven't. No. <laughs> Do you always feel that you've been then the creative type in terms of coming up with ideas for things and just... Yeah, like like having that mindset where you want to be continuously trying new things or just developing different ideas. I think so, but I didn't realize it until I moved here. And it was like I've always known I'm a control freak and I create something and then I just have to do everything a certain way and like get it done, you know? But I realize now that I think like if I come up with an idea and build it out like that, I can be really creative like that and I've really honed in on it since yeah, I think I'm almost the opposite, where I've come to the same place a little bit, but I started the opposite. I feel that I've always been an ideas person where it's like just thinking of things in a different way. I think I had a science teacher one time say that I had a scientific brain because I would not go from point A to point B, but I'd go from point A all the way like circle back around and find this back way of finding the same answer, which is probably way more work, but <laughs> it it was just like... I found the creative way to find the answer as opposed to, you know, the textbook ABCD hmm. way of finding the answer. But I'd also say that I maybe lacked a little bit of that direction, like putting all the pieces together and getting that process down before ever actually being able to do something. Like this podcast probably would have never happened in previous me because I would have been too scared. I would have been like, I want to have a podcast, no. but <laughs> what do I do? Oh, microphones. Well, do we what do I need? And yeah. then it would just, things would never get done. And I'd never put that plan to action, mm-hmm. I think. Whereas, yeah. I, oh, I was going to say, like, I feel like when I do something, it's, I think of it big, like end game and then work backwards. Well, yeah, I was going to ask if you think yourself more uh, process oriented or product oriented. So process being sort of from the why and then product being the end result. I used to think I was process. But now maybe I'm product because um, like Chain for Change, for example, when I first moved here, I didn't have a job, didn't have any friends, didn't have anything going on. So I was actually, I decided I want to train for my first full marathon. So I was researching that and I came across this blog of this marathoner who was trying to be the top 1% of people in the world. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? And uh, I guess this criteria, you have to break a Guinness World Record and you have to run a full marathon on every continent. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was just looking at what records he'd broken and they were all chain records like a chain of people floating down river inner tubes, like the longest one, or a long chain of people doing yoga simultaneously. And I was just sitting in my apartment. I'm like, oh, what chain record can we break here? 
like, oh, longest chain of ice skaters. We have one in the longest ice trails. So I was like, okay, so this is the scene. We're going to be on the ice. We're going to be breaking the record. The mayor's going to be at the front. All the TV crews are going to be there. Ace Burpee's going to be emceeing it. And we're going to raise a bunch of money for charity. And then I just worked backwards. That's crazy. So, you, yeah, so you have the end result all figure, like all in your mind, and yeah. you just kind of figure out how to get there, right? Exactly. And you don't know. You haven't done it before, right? So you, That's true, yeah. You just stumble about, uh, run into people who, like, kind of guide you, and then you just put it all together. It sounds so ad hoc, but it is. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's interesting because I've done some event planning and things before where it's sometimes you're given an idea, but not the what it looks like, what's expected, what's the plan. So you have to just formulate the, okay, there's this happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one example was there was a, a costume parade that I was hosting and planning and things. And so it was okay, where did they go? What did they do? And what's going to be involved? And then so bringing the different pieces together. So almost in the same way where it's like, okay, there's this person here and like these mascots and these different things mm-hmm. happening in the background. And it's just like, just it takes a lot of organizational skills to get that. And then to actually see your vision happen, though, is so rewarding in oh, the end where it's like... It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's you get to see all those pieces in motion it is a little bit chaotic sometimes the day It's of. a lot chaotic. <laughs> well, and especially if you're taking that ownership over this is something that you've planned, so you want it to go off exactly. and, and look professional and that make and sure And hold everybody... it together the whole time. People are coming up to you, what do we do here? What about this? <laughs> and you're just like, okay. <laughs> not trying not to freak out. Yeah, try not to scream right now. <laughs> but yeah, no, that takes a, a, it takes a very certain kind of person to be able to pull all that off, right? I feel like a lot of people would be intimidated. Oh, yeah, um, And so it's kind of incredible to me that you can actually see that end result and just kind of work towards it, whereas people see that would see that as daunting. Like, oh, my God, I have no idea how to get there. I'd have mm-hmm. to do this, 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 and this, and this. Yeah, whereas like you are like, Yeah. <laughs> see, that, I don't think most people would see it that way, though. So that's, that's what's amazing to me is that you can actually put that puzzle together. People would be like, I have no idea where to start, right? It's yeah. like throwing a bunch of a thousand-piece puzzle on the table, and they're like, I don't know. I'm done. That's well, it. Well, for like the puzzle analogy, it's like you build the corners and then you build the border. That's how And you then do you puzzles. work your way in. Yeah. <laughs> That's why see, I can never build yeah. one. Well, I look for corners. things. See, I don't build the outside with puzzles. I sort of just try and find similar colors, put them together, piece it together a little bit at a time. And then you do find the border pieces, and you can typically go from there. See, that's but, the hard Or like way. the building analogy. <laughs> you yeah. start from the bottom, right? Yeah. You can't start from the top. I miss that. You can't start. If you if you build a house, you can't build a house starting with a roof, right? You have to build the foundation, build the foundation. and then Unless walls. You get and then, it built, and then and then hoist it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> something that came up though was start with the end in mind is something to definitely with people in the planning process. It's like you always have to have an end in mind. Yeah, your goal basically. Your right? goal, yeah. whatever it is that you're designing or creating, it's like having a vision of that is super important. Mm-hmm. But then. There's often times where it can even evolve throughout the process because either certain aspects aren't possible or, or exactly. what have you. So I think being creative and coming up with those solutions and even sometimes with things that I've ran, it's been in the moment coming up with some kind of uh, backup plan where you can make things work and planning in advance for that too. I mean, if it rains and there's an event happening outside, is there an inside place to go? Is it canceled? Like you have to come up with those plans in advance and it can be daunting sometimes oh, just to... Our event was on the river, right? 
Yeah. It was the coldest day of the winter. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I was checking the weather religiously all week, and it's like, okay, yeah, it's minus 15, minus 15 this day. It's going to be minus 37 this day. Awesome. It was perfect. the coldest day. <laughs> yeah. So doing it in February was a bold choice? Well, it was hit and miss, right? Because uh, last year, festival, uh, it was melted out, right? Right. So we did it the weekend before festival started. And we figured it would be safe because January is usually the coldest month. So we're like, okay, first week of February, that should be safe. Plus, it was World Cancer Day. So we're like, we have to nice. do it. But yeah, it ended up being the coldest day. So um, we were just a bit short of the record. So we were literally pulling people off the trail. We were like, hey, do you want to break a world record today? Hey, come in this line. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's almost how the best things happen. It just, you have to think in the moment and just organically be like, okay, how can we make this work the best? And so it, sometimes it does just taking take pulling people off the side or whatever yeah. to get involved. And so it's just having that get up and go mentality where you can just make things happen. How many people did you need to break that record? Uh, 370 was the record. Wow. And how many did you have? 395. Nice. Yeah. I would just talk like a little bit closer. A little bit closer. Like, I'm yeah. a little far away. Just make sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just in comparison, because sometimes I yell into the mic and that one. And I'm so quiet. So what's the next bre- record you're planning on breaking? Um, I don't think I have plans to break a record. Right now, um, the current one is pending with Guinness still. Like, um, I submitted the uh, video documents online. They didn't accept it. They asked me to uh, mail it to London, like a USB stick of it. It got sent back. So I just mailed it to New York this week. So I'm still waiting. So I'm like, Guinness, <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. But I'm hoping to m- maybe not do it again this winter, but the next winter, but kick it up a notch. Because there's also a Guinness record for, I guess this answers the question. Yeah, I'm like, it's just like, oh, yeah, there's this actually there is this record. There is. <laughs> no, you can uh, break the world record for most funds raised on an on-ice event. Oh. So cool. that would be like two records. Two records at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> up the ante a little. So, are you hoping to be in that one percent? Oh no, I don't care. <laughs> Not at all. I don't want to run a marathon on every continent. No, no. But did you run your first full marathon? Yeah, last summer. Which marathon so, was it? Manitoba. Nice. Yeah, I actually just ran my first full marathon this How year. How was as it? Well. It was a daunting process. So, up to this year, I'd only ten miles was the max I'd ran at once. Yeah. Because I come from a football background, which was run 40-yard sprints all day, but it wasn't run long distances. Yeah. And I was, was told not to run long distances because it would slow me down in those. Really? Anyways. I don't that's even, okay, what yeah, position trainers. were you? I was a running back. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. I asked. <laughs> the one It involves who, running. It sounds like he runs a lot, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like he runs yeah. a lot, but just has to be crazy because he runs through all the tall big guys into more tall big guys. <laughs> so Do you the hold one, the ball? I mean, yes. Yeah, so there's the quarterback, the guy that throws typically, and sometimes they're athletic now and run around, but the guy behind that that he hands the ball to sometimes, that's the running back. And so he's got to run through all the big linemen and then into linebackers. And if you look at me, I mean, six foot six is a typical lineman in this. Oh, I thought you were saying you were six foot six. Riley, you're reaching. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm three inches taller than Jace, as you can all tell at home. Um, yeah, but I played running back and, and so, yes, there's that element of just, you have to be a little bit fearless with it, but then flash forward. So I started training for marathons. I mean, last summer I started running for the first time, actually taking it, well, maybe not seriously, but regimented doing it at least once or twice a week and worked up to 10 miles. And then this year I decided with my very first run in new shoes that I would go 10 miles. Worst idea. (laughs) <laughs> and funny enough, though, but you made it just fine, right? 
Well, not only that, I went 15 <laughs> miles in the end because I decided that I had to go a little bit further than I'd ever went. But that's when uh, See, were your feet it wasn't mangled? So no, you know what? Um, I swear by Under Armour, I have shoes with the Michelin tire bottom. Okay, so it, let's just talk about shoes for a second. Yeah, <laughs> no, okay, so you it. wear Under Armour shoes? Yes. I've only heard bad things about Under Armour shoes for marathon training. Well, I will say the exact opposite because so with the tire bottom and it's literally Under Armour shoes with the Michelin tire, like there's Michelin, the symbol underneath. And uh, I find it worked as a shock absorber. So yeah. your foot just, do you, you don't feel the full Do you heel slam or do you, like, how do you? I think I'm pretty flat footed, if yeah. that makes sense. So maybe a little heel toe, but nothing, okay. I don't think too major. And I've, I really, I don't, I wouldn't say I have knee problems from that. It's more so doing too much yoga and maybe oh, hyperextending really? a couple times. Okay. Do you yeah. run? Uh, I used to. I'm currently um, recovering from ACL surgery. Oh, wow. So What shoes did you wear? Because I, okay, I was in Asics for the longest time, and now I'm like a heel slammer. Okay. And I've switched to Brooke. So really? Curious, okay. Yeah. Um, I actually always swore, as a runner, I always swore by Adidas. Adidas? Really? Yeah. So I actually found it because I am a heel-toe runner. Um, I always found it easier on my shins when I wore Adidas. Did you get shin splints? Uh, a lot, yeah. For the I, first, yeah, especially when I first started running, it went away over time. But I always have minor, and then when I wore it, switched from. Uh, so I used to wear Nike before that to Adidas. I started with Nike as well. Do you yeah. wear compression socks? No, I know I don't Do wear compression socks, but no, you don't? I don't wear compression. I just wear regular athletic socks. Yeah. Um, but no, I I swear by I'm an Adidas and Under Armour guy for the fact that it fits the shape of my foot better. Do you have wide feet? Uh, yeah. yeah, so I'm pretty wide feet, and I find a de- or sorry, Nikes fit a lot more narrow. They're narrow, yeah, I agree. And so I, and I've done this research in terms of football cleats. It was always the Adidas and Under Armour cleats that I enjoyed the best. Mm-hmm. And so just from that, I knew that it would be a proper shape for my foot. Okay. Uh, and then just trying them on in the store and walking around in them, I went. Where'd you buy them? Just drilling questions about shoes. Hey, no, uh, yeah. no worries. It's actually at the new Tuxedo Outlet Mall. They have oh. the Under Armour store, and actually they were an amazing deal at that time too. Perfect. So I don't know if they still have those deals going on. Actually, right now they do all the back-to-school stuff. Oh, yeah, all the sales. You can get shoes for so super cheap right now. I got to go back there because obviously I've logged probably – I would be – it would be crazy to log the amount of miles I've done this year in terms of – so I did my first three Spartan races as well. Oh, really? The longest one being 13 miles on a on a mountainside. So trudging up and sprinting Just down. Just a half marathon on a mountainside. <laughs> that, so that no took biggie. me an hour longer than my full marathon did. Really? Oh. How long was your full? Uh, 3.45. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was aiming for a little faster than that. but So I don't know what happened to you, but I found the 20-mile mark was just hitting a wall. Mile 22 for me. Mile 22? Yeah. Oh, like so my hip locked further. up. It was awful. Your hip locked up. Yeah. Ooh, I dragged my leg basically for a mile, <laughs> I felt like. But it was good after. Yeah, you were able then to fight through splints, it. Yeah. Uh, shin splints are the worst. I think that yeah. I, I would take hip lock over a shin splint any day. Yeah, and it didn't happen until like literally a month after I finished. So I, I don't think I took enough rest as I should have probably. And then the shin splints. So you were said you were in kind of, what kind of shoes, Brooks? Asics. Oh, Asics. Okay. I've heard good things about Asics. I've never they worn were so Asics. Good. Yeah. yeah. And then that happened. I think, I think just because like my leg locked up, and then my form changed a bit, and then yeah, you're putting pressure and probably on the other leg too much. It, exactly. Yeah, it happens. That's the worst thing is just overcompensation when something little is happening. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened to me. So, well, it's it's gone now, but 
with that hyperextended right knee, I was favoring that going into that mountain race. And then yeah. so on the downhills, I think I put too much pressure on the outside of my other leg. Oh, okay. So the outside of my other knee would lock up for the next couple of weeks and just get really sore whenever I did anything active. So it's, it is really tough when you're, especially running long distances, yeah. those little things over a long period of time are really going to add up. I'm for curious sure. to know what kind of things you've heard about Under Armour that are bad. I'm not speaking for or against Under Armour. I've never worn oh, Under yeah. Armour shoes. Just that it wears out really fast and they tear and they're just not good quality. That's oh, right. what I've heard, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, I like their clothes. I, mean, I feel I like their clothes a lot. the Michelin tire one must... Michelin tire, I don't know. I swear by them, but they've probably made it at least 250, probably 300 miles. Really? And That's they say good. that you're supposed to replace them after 200. Yeah. They're, but I mean, like that, that. They're not worn down. That material must last longer than most shoes, right? That, yeah. yeah. And even the sides think. are holding together pretty well. They're, I wasn't crazy about them going in, but they've held up. And, That's awesome. Yeah. And they're highlighter orange, I'd say. So that I definitely stick out like a sore thumb when I'm running outside, too. <laughs> what got you into running? Um... I actually played ice hockey my whole life, and I was in high school, and I, I don't think you guys have them here, but they're victory laps. You, like, take an extra year of high school when you're not sure what to do with your life. <laughs> oh, we don't have that. Okay. Well, take we have an extra year of high school? Yeah, you can just take extra classes or whatever. That's crazy. Yeah, so you can do it for one Who year. You do that? I did. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life, and you get another year of, like, athletic eligibility. So I played hockey for another year. But you're, you're so confused. You're like, what? We called no. it grade 13, and you had to apply. Oh, with yeah. a special. Like I'm pretty sure everyone here after grade 12 takes all their homework and accumulated paper, throws it, throws it up, or it burns it. Yeah, the, I certainly didn't bonfire. want to do schoolwork. I just was like, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm going to play hockey one more year. So that's fair. I so decided, you do it for sports. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I trained for. Uh, I just decided to start running that summer before that season. I was like, you know, because I was like biking and stuff before, but I was like, yeah, you know, I'll try running. I ran like a kilometer dying so then it was, a, it was a challenge for yourself then right you're like okay i have to get better and yeah. then i think three years later i decided to run i like started doing races so i started doing half marathons and then i did a few of those and i was like okay i should try a full but i think it's one and done did you play hockey your entire life growing up yeah so how did you find so i hear a lot of issues when people when hockey players do a lot of running is that they run into a lot of knee problems did you find that to be an issue um when you switched not really but when i uh, was playing hockey, I damaged my PCL from running into the boards one time. But that's been kind of on and off. But the shin splints are worse right now than anything. It's you, funny. It's just keeping on top of those little injuries. I think yeah. you know, no matter what, you just have to battle through something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, shin splints get better over time. Honestly. Have you tried uh, dry needling? No, I've never heard of that. Oh, okay. I did it for my shin splints and it worked. What is that? They literally stick needles into your shin. Nope. I hate needles <laughs> nope. too, but it works. Seriously. The other one that I've seen a lot lately is cupping. So people, the is it called Reiki something? But they, so they do the cups and they heat them up and it pulls your skin up. So it's oh, the yeah. it's the little circular oh, okay. blobs you see on all those people. Yeah. CrossFit people do that a lot. I feel. <laughs> oh, CrossFit people! They are the they're creative. I'll give them that. But it's something that I never really wanted to get into. No. No, I I think CrossFit gets a bad rap, but like it's not as bad as people think. If you when do you, it safe, safe and properly, yes. Exactly. I think the there's a common misconception, and people think that just getting whatever exercise or workout you're doing done is the end goal, but it's not. It's doing it properly. Yeah, because I did it in college, and the gym I was going to, the head trainer guy there wasn't so keen on safety, and that ruined it for me at that time. 
But if you do it safe and people are promoting the proper form, because Olympic lifting shouldn't be taken lightly. But, <laughs> but no, I was like laughing. Was <laughs> but actually, it, there's so much technique and you can't just be like, okay, go do a snatch. Yeah. You no, know, well, it's like, especially go, go like, heavier. Yeah. Well, that was one of the silliest things. So I had never done Olympic lifting. I'd done, well, I'd done a little bit working with trainers way earlier on and then partway through an off season in my football career, we had a trainer come in and swear by Olympic lifting. And so here I am going, well, I can muscle this up, but I don't really know the technique. And it took me probably at least a month or two, probably two months to figure out the proper technique. And that's almost, that's a big portion of your off season, especially when you're doing that January, February, and then you have spring camps. You consider things like, especially Olympic lifting, like things like snatches, there's so many different body parts parts working together. It's a full body workout. So all it takes is one wrong little twinge or movement or locking out one joint, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There goes your knee, there goes your back, there goes your shoulder. As someone who's been there, it's not fun. How one, do you – oh, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. I was going to say, how do you hurt your knee, if you don't mind me asking? Um, <laughs> I talk fast too. That's okay. <laughs> and quiet. Um, so originally it happened – so it, it initially was a problem back in the day. I actually – about eight years ago – um, I went to go pay for a parking ticket downtown. Um, and when I went to go pay for the parking ticket, there was no parking available. So I parked illegally to go pay for my parking ticket. And I saw the the parking officer or whatever they're called um, walking near my car. So I like, no, decided again. to book it back. Yeah. And I jumped over this about four foot, maybe three and a half feet fence that was kind of rotten. And as I vaulted over it, it gave way. And a piece Ooh. of wood um, kind of scraped up my shin. And um, it didn't even really hurt that much, mm-hmm. um, but it got infected about a week later, and I almost lost my leg. I had to go on antibiotics for about two weeks straight. I'd go in every single day to get antibiotics, so it didn't go. Uh, the infection didn't spread any further. Wow. Yeah, but because the in- infection was so big, I was putting pressure on my my leg, and so that's why I didn't feel any pain. Yeah. Um, so that was the the start of it, and that when I started my marathon running as well. So, and not properly, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> Um, so I initially started losing weight through running and then, um, but I lost a lot of muscle too. And so I was putting a lot of, a lot of, uh, impact and pressure on my feet, especially when I first started running, I wasn't using proper shoes. So I was using cross training shoes to run in and my shin splints got really bad then. But what put it over the top was years later, um, at sky zone actually, um, on the trampoline just randomly, uh, like ran up the side of a, a trampoline j- jumped off and kind of landed in the middle and uh, braced my knee a little too too much and it uh, popped out of place twice Ooh. because you're like bouncing around and so yeah. it popped out I bounced back on it popped out again oh. um, and it took about two years for me to go through the process of getting seeing a doctor getting an MRI seeing a specialist seeing a surgeon then booking my surgery two years and then finally got it done the end of May and it's been um, a lengthy recovery process Full process yeah and uh, i've had a complication since my surgery i've had a blood clot in my upper thigh so which is causing swelling in my lower foot so i've actually i was i thought i'd be off work for eight weeks it's been almost 12 weeks now and really? hopefully i'm going to go back to work in a couple of weeks now but it's been a process and yeah. I'm, I'm just glad to finally get back into a normal routine i know i've gained weight over the last three months but you know what three months is is nothing in the grand scheme of things totally. and i eventually go back to beam playing sports and hopefully things like football and basketball again too. Yeah. So, yeah. 
But so, uh, so tough when the process. I think it's the same thing as even construction, where it's take the time they say, double it, and then you're even still going to be recovering after that. Because mm-hmm. I went yeah. through fractured ankles, where it's oh yeah, you'll That's be fun, yeah. six to eight weeks, but then they don't say okay, six to eight weeks, you'll lose all your muscle mass in that leg. You're going to have to build from square one, which yeah, will, it's, it's and then crazy. you'll have imbalances, and it'll end up taking a year. It's crazy how fast you lose your muscle. If I compare both my legs, one's like half the size of the other one. I'm like, what happened in like eight weeks span? It's crazy, yeah. That's wild, yeah. And actually, it's funny. I was talking to my boyfriend about this. I was like, I just remember being a kid and being like, if I had one wish, it would be you could get in shape and then not lose it. Right? What kind of wishes? <laughs> go to the gym for a year and then never have to go back ever See, again. You could go back, but you could just keep getting better too. Yeah, like, exactly. you just would never get like get lower than you are. Well, it's, that's it's funny that you mentioned that too because <laughs> I'm a personal trainer, so a lot of uh, a lot of people have that, that misconception that, um, and I don't think they they realize it that they can just go with a trainer for a year, get in shape, and then they don't have to do anything for the rest of their life. They're it's in shape. Like that's not true, yeah. right? You gotta you yeah. gotta maintain exactly. Yeah. I'm the worst with that because I'm a fluctuator for sure. But even well, you so, work out twice a day, right? Like, so. Well, at this point in time, so I'm letting myself rest from this last Spartan race, which was about I guess a week and a half, almost two weeks ago now. And so I've been doing yoga and RPM classes because, well, basically I don't want to get out of the routine of going to the gym. So mm-hmm. I'll go. Well, I have to go do something, and then what's low impact enough that I'm not going to risk hurting things even more because I have a little bit of a shoulder impingement and then my knee's a little sore but feel like stretching is probably the right thing to do and RPM classes are fun because you get a good sweat on and then mm-hmm. yeah and that's healthy for you. I feel like one thing I've learned though with all this is if you feel something take care of it and it's so easy to not yeah. don't ignore in, your body yeah exactly especially in the running community it's almost like some people take it as a badge they're like oh yeah my ankle's this my hip's that and they're out there going for a 10 mile run I'm like yeah. now though but back you know like even last year i'm like okay yeah just push through it it's not gonna get better. i think my mentality is exactly that because playing football you're you're used to that physical battering and having bruised arms or something you know you'd you'd go out and warm up and you'd have a charlie horse so your legs yeah. barely working mm-hmm. and then you just you get going your adrenaline kicks in and then you, and you don't, don't really feel, feel it, it yeah. well, i mean that's something that needs to change with football though that what do they say now like 50 percent of kids coming out of high school who played football actually had concussions and they didn't even realize it so then they, oh, uh, i'd be in that they end up with long-term yeah problems mm-hmm. like yeah i mean it's uh, all the research that has been done has pointed towards it's not good yeah. in terms of concussions and the effects long term mm-hmm. and head traumas and and potential for things later on in life from that too so it is definitely a worry and that's probably one of the reasons why i mean i wanted to pick a sport or something to train for that was competitive but i almost felt that i knew i had to take contact out of it because i just i worry in terms of it would have been nice to turn pro in football but at the same time i wonder long term if that would have even been good for me because wow, it's a short career right for a mm-hmm. reason yeah well who's that football player and he's like a mathematician as well and he ended up leaving football because of the concussions and the scares and he's like no my brain is too important was it Ooh, nfl gonna, cfl i think it was nfl hmm. this is gonna bother me because there's there's been a couple of guys do for different reasons i remember glenn coffee a backup running back but i think that was more God had a purpose for him, and he decided that football wasn't in the cards for him anymore. Okay. But I, mathematician, I can't think of who it would he be. He was like uh, half the year, like during the year, he was taking classes, 
and going to his school to get his PhD in math, I believe. <sighs> this is yeah. going to a bug Riley now because he knows every yeah. name in football. I want to say, was it San Francisco, one of their linebackers? Because it's yeah, not Navarro no Bowman, but it might be somebody else. I think somebody retired super young from there yeah. as well. Yeah, I have no idea on the name, but it was really interesting because I was like, oh, he's a football player and he's like a math whiz. That's really cool. See, but the thing is, it's it's a little bit easier when you've made your millions of dollars to make that decision and go, is it okay, though? I think I'm good. <laughs> I feel like but, that greed can lead to more greed, though. Like, how can I keep making more money? And maybe, maybe like not even the greed, but it becomes your identity too, right? True, yeah. So like people retiring from hockey, for example, those are the guys who have had all this head trauma and then they're going into these depressions because now they're facing this like midlife crisis essentially and they're like, who am I? And on top yeah, of what that, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah, <laughs> and that's why some guys just stick it out for so long in minor leagues, right? Because they don't know who else they are. Yeah. I, identity plays a big part of it. I think of, there's been some good documentaries. I wish I remember the name of the one that I watch. Uh, and I've watched the guy speak before too. Anyways, uh, but basically the head traumas and being an enforcer, so the fighters in hockey mm -hmm. and the things that they struggle with after. And yeah. it's, it's bad. It turns into substance abuse. And I mean, and it's well documented that multiple guys, I think it's The Last Gladiators was one of them that I watched. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's insane what they go through mentally. And, mm -hmm. and so they see themselves... It's almost the same thing as a soldier where it's the protector mentality. So they go out there to protect their teammates, but then they have to fight. So it's something very aggressive. Mm -hmm. But then you can't do that on the street after you retire. It, it's against yeah. the law. So yeah. you then have to, and, and they struggle with forming a new identity because it's so tied to that. Yeah. And then on the other side of things, I actually did uh, research in a sport history class when I was going through university. And it was, there was a great book of the 1970s, Team Canada hockey, okay. and, and it talked about how basically these were kids that never really had to grow up because yeah, you turn pro in at 17 or 18, and then all of a sudden you're making money doing the thing you love. Yeah. And then there's women and drinking and drugs, and, and so you get caught up in that sort of lifestyle. Yeah, and you still see that in sports to this day. It's almost a delayed... Uh, kind of finding yourself, right? Like you said, they don't know what to do with their life after this hockey career. But like, that's a, I think that's a lot of us coming out of like high school or college, right? When we're 22, 23 years old, yeah. they just don't have that because like Riley said, right out of high school, they're kind of right into their hockey career or their sports career. And so they never really have to grow up or find out or ask the question of who they are. Yeah, for sure. Strangely, it's a thing that they, they say about addiction that typically your mentality is that when you start your addiction so in terms of if you're if you become an alcoholic at the time that you become a pro hockey player likely it stunts your mental growth in that capacity and you just you get used to that and the and the fact that it's a self-sustaining lifestyle i mean you have other people in the room that are likely doing the same things going mm -hmm. to parties and and so it can easily just guys wake up at the end of their career and that's what they've been doing for the past 15 years or 10 years whatever it is so it's you wonder all these stories of maybe missed greatness in certain people where not that I'm but you think of a guy like Burmy with all the talent in the world and not to say that he drinks or does drugs or anything but it's like all those stories of guys who have fallen off the map and had so much potential and you wonder maybe if that plays part in it well we're all human right yeah so, yeah yeah well even the best of us have had have come from some sort of dark times like look at 
like big idols like Dwayne Johnson. He talks about his pastor Arnold Schwarzenegger even. All and people the, on the wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like they've all had that dark past with either drugs or alcohol or both. And, and Well, I will flat out admit to it in my own life that I've had those issues and that I've, I mean, I would say it's sports related in the sense that you work really hard during the week mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the weekend hits. And I think I've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast, but it's just that, that work hard, play hard mentality where you Monday to Friday and sometimes you're doing film on Sunday or whatever it is. It's like you get some time to go out and be social and do other things. You end up going wild and maybe taking it too far. So that that led to like drinking and drugs in my life. So it's not something I'm proud of. It's not. And, and even in that state, I knew it wasn't something I wanted to be doing, but it just seemed as though it was a release from that lifestyle, which yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it can, it can lead down a dark path and not come back. Mm-hmm. And some people actually, it seems that even running into people that were doing similar things at similar times, seeing them now, a lot of them seem more fulfilled in life and just in what they're doing now than they did while they were playing the sport they love, which is a really interesting, just interesting to know that that happens and that kind of growth can happen for different people. Well, you can kind of like see where you were at a time that maybe was dark for you and compare it to where you are now. And then it's easier to kind of settle and not settle into where you are now, but accept where you are now because mentally you're in a better place. I think. Yeah, that's definitely, I think part of it for sure. You're drawing on that experience, right? Yeah. It's making you a better person now than maybe the choices that you made back then. But it's like sports, they can't be, I, I like, I don't, I'm not a professional athlete, but that can't be easy. You're on the road all the time. Um, it, like you're you're committed to that sport for most of the week, so whatever time you get to yourself or to to let some steam off, like you do, you go hard, right? Yeah, and and some people can find a life balance, and some people do it really well. You see the athletes that well, there's ones that seemingly have it together and maybe don't. I think of Tiger Woods as an example of there were some things happening in the background for a long time that nobody knew about mm-hmm. that he was dealing with, and. And then there are people, I would say Sidney Crosby is somebody who there's not much documented other than the injuries and the concussions that he's had, where it's, he seems to be doing great things in the community, he seems to be well yeah. put together, and you know you never really hear people. So it's, it's interesting that you ha- maybe have differing personalities even in this same dressing room sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, Crosby, yeah, I guess you've never really heard of a, the bad side of him really, eh? I mean, and something could come out that we don't know about, but it, he seems a pretty safe bet. Like, how old is Crosby now? He's got to be what twenty six? No, he's no, he's older, he's older he's, than me. He's in his <laughs> yeah. No, really? Yeah, yeah. Man, it's I probably like about. So, I guess he has been playing for a long time now. I'm five. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm old. <laughs> yeah, getting old, Jace. Getting <laughs> old. So I did want to know what the message behind Sports Bra Squad was. Before we get outside of talking. Yeah, yeah we just like sorry. went on a whole tangent. A <laughs> couple there. tangents. Yeah, we we say that that typically happens. It's just, yeah, but, but no, fair enough. Yeah. Conversation-wise, yeah. Um, well, Spurs Bra Squad, it started with a woman in New York who essentially was just sick of not the ideal of a runner, but just like comparing her body to runners' bodies and just comparing her body in general. And she was a sweaty girl. She just wanted to run with Spurs Bra. So one day she was just like, yep. And yeah, she got some kickback but it just made her want to do it more and she's actually started a movement because of this and my co-leader Lindsay she held uh like 
there's a global sports bra day and it's in June and she held an event for that and I wasn't able to make it so I was just like hey we should start a club and she's like yeah that's great because me personally like um, I struggle with an eating disorder and this really hits close to home for me because there are young girls being exposed on a daily basis like when I was growing up I didn't have a phone thing and like girls nowadays that they open their phone first thing in the morning they're comparing themselves to people and if we can have like a space or a safe space for people to come and just accept their body and like just celebrate what it can do and it's not just for women obviously um uh yesterday yeah I was like what day is it but yesterday we had we had it was like half men half women and it's great because not just women are exposed to this kind of comparison and pressure yeah I, I think of the growth in terms of when you're young you have the Barbie doll and the Ken doll or you have the Barbie doll and the G.I. Joe and so yeah. it's these these unrealistic body types that exactly. were we're supposed to live up to in terms of media and, and well, a lot of the things that we consume on social media too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I see that as being so, it can be really detrimental to Absolutely. people. And and actually one of the things I thought of, uh, men's eating disorders is actually, it's something the percentage of increases because of social media is almost it. a 300% increase. I because might of be, social media? Well, be, since the starting of social media, uh, eating disorders such as bulimia and anorexia have increased at least 300% in Whoa, men. Whoa, I had no idea. That's a crazy statistic. Yeah. yeah, and I've actually known somebody who's suffered with an eating disorder, a male too. And and typically, males don't talk about those types of things. It exactly. seems like a, a women's issue. But Do you think that's largely due to like unrealistic standards being set on platforms such as Instagram or... I would say yes. I, I like it's not obviously Instagram that's doing it, but that's what people are liking. That's what people yeah. are posting about because you don't see someone who feels like their body doesn't measure up to the Barbie doll going and posting photos of themselves in bikinis on the beach. It's all the girls who look great by beauty standards, right? So then that's what you're seeing. That's what's populating your feed. So that's what you're going to be comparing yourself to. Yeah, you think that's the way you're supposed to look. But yeah, a lot of those. I guess a lot of people don't realize that those people in those photos a lot of times are not. They don't look like that twenty four seven. Usually, exactly. like say bodybuilders, but when they cut and they stop like drinking fluids and eating properly just to get the physique that they want, like that's not sustainable. No, um, but they're I'm, not going to tell you. That. No, and on top of that, yeah. sometimes a lot of times it's photoshopped. Come on, guys. Yeah, <laughs> and just I, yeah, picture like a twelve year old girl looking at that and trying to comprehend all that, yeah. or a twelve year old boy like looking at. Someone who's up on stage and he's like, I want to look like that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, I, it's just a lot of the time people don't talk about the struggle behind it, right? They want to portray this picture perfect Instagram life. Um, you said that you you have an eating disorder yourself, I right? Had, yes. You had one? Okay. What, what's that like, having an eating disorder? Um, I describe it as uh, being a prisoner in your own mind, essentially. So you're always just like overly conscious of what you're putting into your body. So you're avoiding social events because of it. Uh, you're feeling guilty because you had that ice cream cone and things like that. So it's easy to slip back into something like that because you compare what you looked like then versus how you look now. And you're like, oh, I had way less fat then. But then you think of like the mindset you were in back then. And you're like, I never want to be that again. Yeah, I definitely, I almost had an image disorder. I wouldn't say I ever had an eating disorder. But in terms of, I got obsessed with the aesthetics, became a narcissist. So obsessed with the person in the mirror and having a six pack abs and it was actually and and so the things that I would do so the the supplements and things that I would take and it was just like tons and tons and tons of them and who knows long term what kinds of effects those can have on your yeah. body because there's not a ton of research in terms of FDA or whatever the Canadian equivalent is mm-hmm. so 
just in terms of what are what are the long term effects of high doses of uh, vitamin B12 because you're getting thousands of percentage, just all these things that you're loading in your body. And essentially pre-workout, I'd say similar to an energy drink. So having that before every workout, just long term what that's going to do to you because we know energy drinks now are, well, they want to make them so that it's above 16 or something that you can purchase them okay. or even oh, like, really? Just because That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Well, if your body's still developing and you're tossing that many chemicals in it, it can't be very healthy. However, I don't. So I'm on the fence of like things like that because it, it's almost like if you put that age restriction on it, it's almost like more kids want to do it now, right? It's yeah. a tough balance. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, it almost makes it more cool if they can get access like, to it because it's the yeah. Similar like, to yeah, you're limiting access, but then they're, gonna they're always going to find a way it. around yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But no, and then I'd say I come to a place now and I, I see my mind just in terms of, of being an optimal fitness for these races, almost going back to that. But I look at the way that I'm doing it now and currently taking no supplements other than MCT oil derived from coconuts for cognitive function. So I'll admit to that one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's and literally eating a paleo based diet and seeing almost the same results. And it's like, but I feel like I'm doing it that much more healthy. Mm-hmm. Although I do drink too much coffee as well. So I'll admit to that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm open with my, with my faults and maybe my, my excessive habits. I don't know if I have ever had an eating disorder, but kind of like kind of in between with you, with you and Riley there and Riley with the image problem. Um, Cause I used to be 350 pounds at my heaviest and I dropped from, about 350 down to 205 in about a year and a half from just running. That's when I became a marathon runner. And uh, I always know, I remember looking myself in the mirror every day and I always saw the old person I used to be, even after losing 150 pounds. So I always thought I had to keep losing weight. And it wasn't a wake-up call only came when, um, so I started eating a lot less, 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 less until a point where it came, I was running two, three times a day, and then I wasn't eating enough. So what would happen is it, I would uh, start to almost black out. I'd get these, like, flashes in my vision. Oh, really? Until one day I fell down the stairs, and, like, I was just going downstairs. I blacked out for a second, and I was next thing I know was the bottom of the stairs. And it kind of became a wake-up call for me that I was like, hey, maybe I need to start, like, watching what I'm eating because it came to a, a point where I was like, and that less wasn't necessarily good, whereas yeah. I kind of – built my mindset on like less was was good mm-hmm. so i don't um do you remember meadow soprano i forget her real name but from the sopranos I've she actually struggled with well she struggled with workout anorexia so she would count her calories from food and then workouts and so oh, she would make sure she yeah. was working out way more than she was consuming so she was always out of the crazy calorie yeah so she it. was essentially always losing weight because she was getting rid of more calories than she would ever consume. And so it got to a point where they needed an intervention with that as well. And not, I'm not talking the show intervention, but basically they stepped in, saw that she was losing so much weight and then to get her back to a healthy place again. But yeah, I think it borders on that, right? Because you just say, I want, I want to be skinnier and skinnier. And even right now I think of my optimal fitness and I do have a weight goal for that because I think I'll be able to move better I mean, you see runners and you see 150-pound runners in terms of males. And I go, well, I'm never going to be that, but I want to be optimal. So there's a goal there. But I think of just eating 
I make sure that I'm not hungry, that I'm eating well, and that I eat often, and I'm always having a spoonful of peanut butter whenever I'm in the kitchen. So <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I think it's really difficult because it's constant maintenance. And, and so it's, again, the same thing as injuries. There's so many things that just occupy your mind that you have to stay on top of all the time. And that's even, that's one of them too, just in terms of what, where these habits are stemming from and, mm-hmm. and what you can do to stay on top of things. Yeah, because they all come from a different place for different people. Like going back to the control freak thing, um, something happened in my life where I felt like I was not in control and I felt like a, controlling my food was an easy way to get it back. Yeah. No, that can definitely happen. Uh, I did want to know if most of these projects that you're doing are volunteer-based and if you ever feel spread too thin amongst your projects and career and life balance as well. Yeah, these are all volunteer. And I, I actually feel like I'm really good at managing my time and I always need to be busy. So I haven't felt spread too thin yet, to be perfectly honest. Like when Chain for Change was in its like week out from, I felt stressed, but it was just because I wanted it to be successful. Like I feel like I have a good support system as well. Like my family's great, my boyfriend's great. But yeah, I think I just manage my time really well. What kind of system do you use to manage your time? Do you have like a, a post-it notes <laughs> system? My phone calendar is phone my calendar. life. Yeah. Okay. Phone calendar. Because yeah. we started using the Trello board that yeah. Jessica uses because it's a way we can contact, we can have both of us on the same list okay. and be able to basically communicate the goals and things that we've done. Mm-hmm. So it seems seems good to have that, but I, I swear by my notebook as well for just having tasks and having things, but mm-hmm. I've used a bunch of different ways in the past. Yeah, I think it's important to have a good way to manage your time. I actually went back to the Trello thing. Even today, I was actually organizing my own personal. So I don't know if you know what Trello is. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a a checklist app in a way, but you have multiple boards um, that you can create. So you can kind of create different categories um, to organize your your thoughts or whatever project you're working on into different categories and then create checklists in that way. So it's a way to... To manage multiple checklists at one time, essentially. And you can have different people on. Yeah, yeah. So you can invite different people and groups to kind of add and change things if you want that or just a few things. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tie it to your calendar, too. So you can automatically set due dates on things that on the week on your calendar. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) the calendar. Trello, if you do want to pay us for. uh... What's up, Trello? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I did want to know, too, how you inspire people to get involved and give back as well. Um, Most of the things I've done have been linked to a charitable venture. Uh, Sports Bra Squad isn't. It's more of a personal thing. But uh, to open up our runs, we have a, a question, like a weekly question. Like this week's, it was uh, how do you deal with criticism or judgment in a positive way? So we actually go around, each person introduces themselves. So like, uh, and they answer the question, obviously. So when you can connect someone with a personal why, that's the biggest reason. So for Chain for Change, for example, who has unfortunately hasn't been affected by cancer? So... That was a big draw for that. Uh, Winnipeg is good. It it was just you're in Winnipeg and like like I said, people who didn't even know what was going on in hockey, they just saw the message and putting it on influential people was helpful for that also. <laughs> so you like leverage people's positions, but you find their why too because you're not just gonna be like, hey, wear this, and they're gonna be like, no. So you, <laughs> you, you find out why they would want to do that. And with Sports Bra Squad, it's people, like, being able to share their stories and know it's in a safe spot. Yeah. So is it always, like, a different question that's asked? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, every week. 
Again, I pulled the mic a little bit closer. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I keep, like, no, leaning it's, back. I'll it's fine. This. It happens when you're in natural conversation. Just to want to turn good. to the person yeah. and just yeah. get good. It means you're getting comfortable. Yeah. That's the whole thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, one of the side notes was with the running. I saw in your Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service one that your, that your page said, we'll run for beer. And I thought that oh. was the best slogan. <laughs> yeah, I love beer. So, especially local. Nice. Especially local. What's your favorite local beer? It was Peg, and then they closed. Peg City Brew Company closed? Peg Brew Co., yeah, it was a while ago. Uh, Guten Tart, best beer ever. See, I wasn't a fan of the Guten Tart. Really? We had that on tap at a restaurant I worked oh, at. I, I haven't tried Guten that one. Tart. And you never will, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> if you find it now, it's in the back of somebody's freezer, and it's probably way outdated. Go knocking <laughs> house, down, house, to house to house to find one. So in terms of growing up in Dryden, Ontario, I say woo because I put it in parentheses because my grandparents lived there when I was young. So I'm actually familiar with Dryden, Ontario uh, and the smell that the paper mill has. That's too. the, I was That's, waiting for you to say that. <laughs> Everyone says that. They're like, oh, that stinky town. Like, it's, yeah. it's funny because I can go back in my memories and I actually didn't have a problem with it when I was young, but it's only like thinking back to it. I remember the smell and rarely do you have a smell memory. <laughs> Smell is the closer, the thing that, like, sparks memory the most. I've heard that, yeah. yeah. But um, I worked in the mill in the human resource department, actually, and it only smells if something's wrong. It doesn't <laughs> always <laughs> smell. <laughs> yeah. If you go to Dryden and it smells weird, then get out of town. No. Yeah, something, something's going wrong. <laughs> stay yeah. there. Got to get out of there. So I wanted to know what made you move, decide to move to Winnipeg after traveling to Europe, Australia, Thailand, and the Philippines. Um. Well, when I was living in Australia, I met a girl there, and we ended up traveling to the Philippines, and I came home because I was broke. And <laughs> I was originally just going to work for a couple of weeks or months, however long it took to save up to go to India, but no offense to Ryan, I was there for a couple of weeks, and I couldn't stay there. And one of my girlfriends, she had just moved back from the UK, and she was a teacher over there, and she was moving to Winnipeg at the end of summer, and I just said to take along. Like, literally, that's it. I'm just like, wow. yeah, I'll move there. That's it. Back to <laughs> yeah. Winnipeg. Just on a whim. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll make it work somehow. That's It's funny because I feel like Winnipeg's this bubble that once you get entrenched, it's just this big, small town. So I feel like you've already embraced that with, with having Winnipeg on one of your slogans yeah. So yeah. and on the T-shirts and everything. <laughs> and I'm seeing it more and more. Like, for example, you're like, oh, I've seen you before. I was like, oh, yeah, I taught you to do a headstand in the gym. <laughs> No. I'm still trying. I was working on them today, too. It's it's a process. I'll tell you that much. I keep falling, but at least I think I know enough to fall properly. I was going to say, hey, at least put a mat under you or something. Yeah, I have a, well, except for when I do them against the wall, but I feel pretty safe when my feet are propped up against something. So yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a process, but the thing is, so it's a bunch of Spartan racers can do full headstands, and they'll do them with the sort of the bars, you know, the the parallel or yeah. yeah, whatever, parallel bars, and they'll go from sitting on them and then all the way up into a headstand. So, so impressive. Yeah. I know, and, and so they'll take video. And even the one guy, Terry Dorge, uh, shout out to you because he'll do handstands on absolutely everything, and he'll do <laughs> them from out of the pool too. So on the edge of the pool, he'll just prop what? himself up the all the way off. into a handstand. Seriously, I'm jealous And though. then right back in. And he did it on a really... Shady roof on uh, oh. on the mountain that we were about to hike. There was a little chalet thing, and he climbed up and did a hands. He says it's controlled. What is it? Controlled? I would say idiocy, but <laughs> uh, but he. I mean, he knows what he's doing, and he's comfortable enough yeah. in doing yeah. it in almost any situation. But 
it's it's that one-upsmanship. I want to be able to learn the things that <laughs> the they know. The sole reason. That yeah. they know how to do. Very much a tangent. <laughs> um, but I wanted to know how you feel about traveling and how that helped shape the person that you are as well. Um, well, the f- I've always kind of traveled with my family because my mom's from Germany. So I wasn't unfamiliar with it. But the solo travel aspect, that's what changed everything. So you learn so much about yourself. You realize, like, you can do it on your own. And it really really elevated my confidence and I would recommend a solo trip to anyone yeah it's so I did it wasn't a long-term travel trip but when I was in university I saved up for a full year and went to Australia and then Fiji okay and went by myself I didn't know anybody it was with a group called International Student Volunteers okay and so I was traveling with a bunch of students across North America so it was nice to be able to basically have a group that I was going to go meet and entrench myself with for the next month and that experience was super, it was super rewarding just to escape the country and just see a completely different landscape. Yeah. I, I had the sense when I was landing in Australia that it was, if you've watched, I, why can't I think of the movie with the blue people? Um, Avatar. Yeah, Avatar. Oh, okay. so, I was, was thinking of Smurfs. blue people in, in yeah. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? There's blue people in Australia. There are not They're blue everywhere. people. No, you didn't know. <laughs> They're among people us. people are all the rage. Um, no, when I was landing there, that it was the Avatar world. And Where'd that you it was, fly into? Um, I'd imagine uh, Sydney, but Sydney. But then we landed in Tasmania. So oh, my volunteer. Cool. So it was half a volunteer trip, and then we did adventure tourism all across the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I got to go to Tasmania, but landing there and seeing rolling hills, eucalyptus trees, and wallabies in the wallabies. distance, just <laughs> hopping around was. It was awe-inspiring because, I mean, you maybe have seen them on TV mm-hmm. or sometimes. Oh, and I almost got into a fight on that trip with an albino kangaroo. It was definitely. Kangaroos are vicious. Wallabies are I feel okay, like you'd but... lose that fight, Riley. Yeah. Uh, it had an albino kangaroo. It had red eyes and it was oh. puffing its chest at me. and That's was terrifying. On the other side of a five-foot fence. It, and I went, this kangaroo can probably jump this fence. It was getting ready, yeah. Plus they have razor sharp, sharp claws too, don't they? Yeah, they're they're pretty vicious. Yeah, they'll kill you. <laughs> but I mean, I did eat kangaroo on that trip. So it, oh, I, did you like it? I felt like it was disgusting. Kangaroo burgers were delicious. I yeah. found uh, the kangaroo steak that I had was, was really no really gamey. Yeah, same. It was just too tough. And then another thing though, with uh, traveling by yourself, it's like you can re- reinvent yourself. You just go and you're just wherever you want to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not no weird. Put on way. some mono glasses. No, like, it's, Hello. it's really therapeutic. So did you have a moment where, did you have a moment there where you felt completely yourself or maybe that find yourself moment? I don't want to be too cliche. It's so cliche. But. <laughs> um, actually, when I went to Thailand, because um, that's kind of what made me move to Australia, because I met these guys there who were doing a, like an online travel show. And we ended up uh, going out in Bangkok that night. And I ended up waking up on a roof in Bangkok, soaking wet, being like, where am I kind of thing? <laughs> And then those guys, they were just super chill. They're like, hey, do you want to hitchhike with us? And I was like, yeah, cool. So, <laughs> so then we ended up hitchhiking across Thailand. But I don't know. I just, yeah, I felt like I was just really myself. That's hitchhiking you found. <laughs> I you found myself really hitchhiking yourself. with two randoms. That's, that's incredible, though, that, that you're actually able to do that. I can't, I haven't been outside North America. I've moved across Canada, but <laughs> never gone to a different country or continent. It's it's something that I strive for. I wish I could do more traveling, but it's just in terms of having the time, money, yeah. and whatever else, and like having the idea to do it is well, actually, and planning it 
takes don't a plan. ton. Of, That's the just key. go. Just go. See, yeah. well, one day I want to do the Europe trip. I said I want to go to Rome is probably the number one on my bucket list to see the Colosseum because cool. I love. I love Roman history and mythology, so that's that's somewhere that that I want to see at least before I biggest before place I go. to get pickpocketed. Really? Okay. Yeah, apparently. I'm no, like, so. I'll tell you a funny story actually. So um, when we were in Rome, I was there with my best friend, and we were just eating at this cafe, and she had her phone on the table. And there's a lot of like younger pickpocketers. So um, this little boy runs up and slams his map down on the table, and he's like, "How do you get to the Colosseum?" And uh, my best friend, she's way too nice. And she's just like, oh, yeah, you go here. And she's, like, trying to draw it, this map for him and everything. And he's trying to just yank away. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. And she's just being so nice. <laughs> and then this kid just runs away. And she's like, oh, I hope he finds the Coliseum. And then she's like, where's my phone? I'm like, yeah, that kid's gone. <laughs> and she's Pretty like, sure he knows where the Coliseum yeah, is. Yeah, the whole time. I Because um, Paris is really bad for that, too. Uh, the, there's, a group like, groups of kids that run up to you. And they're like, sign my petition. And then they pickpocket you because they'll swarm hmm. you. So just heads up. Yeah, I think it's good to know that there's little kid pickpocketers around in the world. Don't keep your wallet in your back pocket. Exactly. Front front pocket carry. Just have a fanny pack. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Actually, I I am a big fan of the fanny pack. I do want to bring them back. There's one girl at the gym who does wear a fanny pack, and I'm kind of jealous of it. (laughs) I I think it would be great because I wear, I have this, uh, this, it's called a flip belt for running long distances. So I, I bought it for the Spartan races, and it can hold gels. And I even had waffles, so I had my breakfast on the mountain as I was trudging along. Oh, wow. So it was a little honey stinger waffle thing. Those are that so you just, good. Yeah. I it was them. That was my breakfast that day. It was, <laughs> I'll always enjoy It was like the tastiest thing because it's all sugar and yeah. just deliciousness <laughs> so at that point. Um, yeah. I don't know where I no. set <laughs> off on <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah. Take pockets to okay. eating on the trail. Oh, yeah, I did want to know if, if you had any travel tips for people other than the pickpocketing. Oh, yeah, I can tell you about that now. Um, travel tips. Uh, be more specific. Well, in terms of if people, is there a way that you picked exactly where you wanted to go, or are there certain things that you found really helpful in terms of just when you were there, resources that you used or anything? Mm, I think, like, just uh, take a globe and spin it and then close your eyes, <laughs> okay. you know? No, um, pick somewhere you want to go, do a bit of background research, like kind of map out the things you want to see because that was, wow, we went to Barcelona and didn't research anything. Like, yeah, we're just going to show up. But there's like the old Olympic Park I would have loved to go see. Um, This one church that is super famous, can't remember the name, didn't go to see that. Um, So do a bit of background research because you don't want to go home and be like, oh, I could have seen that. But keep it loose. Like don't try to plan your entire trip. That's my biggest tip. Don't try to plan it from start to finish because you're going to be stressed out the whole time. That's not fun. Yeah, I think it's it's having time to just enjoy the experience and be spontaneous in a different country. Yeah. But then if there are those landmarks or those places you really want to visit, just making sure that they're also in there too. Exactly. And a budget, yeah. obviously. Like have a tentative budget, but at the same time, don't be too stiff. No. So when are you going to be there? There, there are some people like that and I've traveled with them before and it, it doesn't. I get really stressed out when there's like this hour by hour schedule or day by day schedule so that people go on. I'm like, that. sometimes I would just want to go over there because I saw it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, that's not on schedule or time budget or anything. It's like, yeah. okay, well, bye. Yeah. No, and okay. those are the people you did. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm going to do this anyways. Yeah. Which is what happened actually when we went to Las Vegas the first time. There's okay. a big, we had a big 15 group, uh, 15 person group. 
and ended up being split. And I was I ended up with like three people because we just wanted to do our own thing. And everyone else was That's like, cool. we got to go to this buffet at this time and this yeah. club here and this like, casino no. then. I'm like, no, I'm just going to go here. <laughs> and that's another tip, actually. Really be choosy with who you go with if you go with other people. That's what's also great about going by yourself is you meet awesome, like-minded people. And you can travel with them for a couple of days and be like, okay, well, I'm going to go off and do this. And it's like no hard feelings or anything. Versus I went on a trip one time with four of my girlfriends. And one of them, it was awful. <laughs> and my other two girlfriends the whole time, they're just like, why did you invite her? And Aww. maybe I shouldn't be saying it. But, um, yeah, be very selective of who you go with. And don't be that friend. Don't be that friend. <laughs> be If you're going with people, be like, uh, compensate for what they want to do too. Like, make a group decision sometimes. Like, sometimes, yeah, separate. Because uh, the girls I went with, uh, two of them were super into CrossFit and they want to go to CrossFit gyms, which was fine. I did not want to do that. So I separated with the other girl and we, like, went and did our own thing. So. Yeah, it's being willing to talk it out and be willing to compromise. Exactly. It, it's funny because it teaches you, well, in the same thing, having roommates or living with people, or yeah, even having exactly. partners, yeah. it's, it's very much the same. Level, yeah. <laughs> it's living. a whole other level, but it's it's along the same lines. It's those interpersonal relationships, and oftentimes it can make or break a trip. If you're dealing totally. with somebody else who's sure. constantly stressed or constantly it or has down, to yeah. do those, check off their boxes on the list, and you're not that travel type, yeah. Because there are uh, there are different travel types, and some people their idea of a great travel vacation is sit on a beach and have um, have an open bar or whatever. Like, yeah, mojitos all yeah, day. Yeah, Sounds all like inclusive. <laughs> Which there's nothing wrong with no, that. That's, hey, and some people around. love Disney World for that. The fact that you can go do the rides and whatever, have some drinks, and yeah. that's pretty much it. I know I can't stand being in one place for too long. Like I have to mm-hmm. see things. I don't need the, necessarily the plan, but to be the guy, the person that sits on a beach and just drinks all day, do yeah. that maybe for a day or two. But like, it gets old. Fast. It gets old fast. Yeah, yeah. I want to be adventurous. Like see what the sites are. And, yeah, yeah. I think that's even my life theory now is have a plan of not maybe not a direct plan, but have a couple of things and then but be willing to just scrap that if yeah. something better comes along. Be willing to change. Hey, be, be <laughs> open be the to change. Change, change oh, is the man. word of my year. Yeah, changes it. Um, Flamingos are the animal of my year. Flamingos? The year of the flamingo. <laughs> well, my flamingo shirt, so I say that. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm on the search for the world's best flamingo shirt. And I, I'm How many getting, do you have now? Go to Transcona. They have a whole line, apparently. <laughs> Actually, what I, Seriously, yeah. This is a side note, but I did find out that flamingos are an international sign for swingers. So oh. apparently <laughs> I might really. have to change animals. Oh. So no judgment here. Go to Dodo no Birds. Dodo Birds. But yeah. they're extinct, so it's not as fun. Flamingos are also pink, so they got the... They're just lively, and they're party animals. <laughs> How many flamingo shirts are you up to now? I have three flamingo shirts. Yeah. Should have wore it today instead of your fake. Uh... My fake and my purple, my lavender, <laughs> my lavender color shirt. Um, oh, and so you said that after, well, in the notes that you so graciously gave me, you said that after university you set, decided to do the traveling. And so I wanted to know if you feel that there's too much pressure on young people to go right into school and get their degree and get a job and, and grow through life that way. I think that was the the old norm. And it's shifting, which is great, because um, I, I almost want to link it to midlife crises, right? It's like you go from one thing to the next to the next, and then all of a sudden it's just like, okay, well, I'm 45. I haven't been outside of my country. I'm going to leave my family and go. But... Um, it also depends on, yeah, your family and who you're surrounded by. 
and what your support system is like. So I think it's shifting, but it was traditionally how it was. And I'm just so grateful I did what I did because now I'm just like, okay, I've done it. And I'm happy to stay in one place. It's hard at first to come back, but. There's something to say about the life experience that, I mean, the people that speed through school and get a degree and then get into their career, sometimes they end up being the worst employees for the fact that there's nothing beyond that. They're maybe really good at sitting down and memorizing textbooks, Mm -hmm. but what if they, have they had to work a, a job to have the money to go travel and then have they traveled and met people and had to learn people street skills, smarts and yeah. people skills and maybe hitchhiking with right. strangers, know is trustworthy school, right? strangers, yeah. right? And if all you know is, yeah, maybe you have a 4.2 or 4.0 GPA. Yeah, how does that translate? How yeah. does that translate into career and working life? And oftentimes some of the book smart people struggle with those social skills as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, so I definitely feel that there's just – I do feel that it's shifting, though, as well. Yeah. But then I would also say that there's a quarter-life crisis now. That is that Riley, why you're laughing? Riley, is that yeah. what you're in? Well, you pointed Riley, right at it. Riley, yeah. He points it at every podcast. <laughs> I would say, yeah, we have it. <laughs> it's just fine. It's fine. Well, I, now that it's you been brought up. You talk about your quarter-life crisis. Well, no, but it, it's I know we've talked about it a little bit ad nauseum, but just the fact that basically 25 hit and... I'd worked a job out of university and enjoyed it and then looked at starting my own company in youth programming and didn't find a way to unroll that, like didn't find a way that it would be financially successful. Yeah. And so I went, well, I wanted to do this. I had the energy to do this. I had the idea and, and pursued it, mm-hmm. but there was no way of making it monetarily successful, yeah. aka providing for myself and being able to live life. So I went, I guess I got to get a job, but then it was... What do I want to do? What do I want my, my impact to be on the world? And what what constitutes success for me? And I started to ask myself these re- really difficult questions. And it led me to these, maybe bouncing around a little bit, but now I feel that finally with what I'm doing, and I would say a year later, I definitely hit a low last summer. And then to where I'm at now is I have a vision of what I want my future to look like. And things will shift and things will obviously take priority at different times. But mm-hmm. I finally feel in charge of my own life, which is really empowering and really cool, just in terms of especially knowing where I've come from in the sense of not knowing and going through plenty of months of just frustration. And and it's funny because rarely do you take the time to look back. You think of what you're going through now as being super difficult. But when you stop and take a look around, I know I was even in my new place the other day and looking around being like, none of this was here a year ago. None of the projects that I was doing, my job that mm-hmm. I'm working at. The, yeah, it's important to reflect. And, and taking those, those little times to reflect. It's like if you get stuck in past accomplishments or things that have changed, you stop striving forward. And then again, if you get worried too much about what's to come and building towards that, you don't enjoy the now enough. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and on the other side too is, is that if you, yeah, if you can't appreciate where you came from, sometimes you get stuck now and you have to look back to see where, how far you've come to notice like, oh, yeah, you know what? It, I'm not stuck. Like, this is just a stepping stone in the whole grand scheme of life, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So everyone has that. I think quarter life crisis is is, is a good way to put it, and I think almost everyone has it. Yeah. Now I know I didn't start university till I was 24, um, and I jumped around everywhere. I went to film school in Vancouver to the Coast Guard on the East Coast, like complete switch, and then oh, wow. eventually just to come back to Winnipeg to go to university. So. You got to experience that stuff too, because um, right out of school, I went to school to be a teacher. And didn't like it. And then I took a year off. And then I went to HR, which I liked 
for then. But now I'm not really working in HR, which I'm fine with because the direction I've taken with the things I've gotten involved with is taking me somewhere completely different. The one constant has been people. So it's just getting involved with things that you're interested in, and it'll open a lot of random doors. It's funny because I knew, I even wrote at the top that it was degree in human resources, but I knew that you're a kindred spirit, but saying that it's people, and I think that that's my goal, like I always say, making a positive difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I respect the people that are animal people or that are planet or that are any sort of, if you're trying to do good in the world, Winnipeg's good too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, there, there are good people in the world trying to do good things and make a positive impact. And I just know that I can have the biggest impact on people. And that's what I'm passionate about as well. So it's, when your your goals fall in line with that, but then it's even knowing that all those jobs that you had in the past and all those different things that you're doing, you draw experience from that. Yeah. And so I never look at the things that have happened in the past as negative experiences and or and or being meaningless. It seems that it's all come together and and being helpful in who I am now, and then even those skills that you can take forward into either any career or any project or exactly. anything in life. So yeah. I find that extremely, extremely valuable. Yeah, and lows contribute to that as well, right? Because like you said, you don't look back and it's negative now. It's a, like a learning experience. And if you can turn a low into a learning experience, that's the most important thing because not everyone can do that either. So along the same lines, I wanted to know what is the difficult, most difficult thing you've been through and how you got through it? Um, I think it would have to be the eating disorder. Because it impacted a lot of people around me. Like, I just remember my mom looking at me one time and asking me if I was sick. And in hindsight, like, everyone now looking back can see what was happening. But as it was happening in front of them, it's like you kind of get in a denial as well. But um, coming out of that and now the people side too, right? Like, if with Sports Bra Squad, if I can maybe direct someone away from that path, then I've done, like, what I want to do. Yeah. I would say very similarly, I had a similar experience. It was... So last summer, I actually had my own mother ask me if I was depressed. And it was the first time, first time somebody pointed it out to me. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really... It shakes you. It shakes you. And mm-hmm. then I got emotional instantly because it was somebody understood or just at least knew. Acknowledged was, it. Yeah. Acknowledged it. And I felt that that was maybe a caveat in helping me heal and progress forward. Is just and, and so I didn't pursue going to a psychologist or any sort of treatment mm-hmm. in that sense. But... And because I felt strong enough to deal with it personally, mm-hmm. but I definitely was in that negative state and just, and and it could have went worse. Yeah. But it was just the fact that somebody, I was able to speak openly about what I was going through and that state that I was in, it's almost just, it alleviated that weight that was keeping me down in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so it allowed me to progress forward. Yeah. And like the second part of that question, which I did not answer, I remember exactly what kind of like shook me too. Because, yeah, my mom asked me that. And the guy I was seeing at the time, he was not the best for me at all. But anyways, like uh, at one point, because I started doing CrossFit and started like working on myself more and like just getting that confidence back. And I just remember he looked at me one time and he's like, your thighs are getting pretty big. You should start running more. And I was just like, F you. And that's what like shook me. And I was like, you know what? No, I don't want to be like this anymore. People can't tell me who I I should be. But yeah, it just takes that one thing. Yeah, I get that. And it's it's tough to get those negative influences out of your life as well, whether it's sometimes it's friend groups or partners or things. And it's actually it takes a lot of strength and inner strength to be able to say that 
I have to distance myself. I know we were talking about it a little bit before the podcast. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. Your friend groups sometimes shift. And totally. well, sometimes they evolve when you're in them and they start doing negative things and you, you distance yourself. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it can happen. It's unfortunate. Sometimes it's really difficult with family, especially yeah. where it's, it's the blood relation and the growing up with them and you have that bond and, and yet you have to, you have to know who's worth putting the energy into maintaining those relationships. Cause there's those people that matter no matter what. And then there's the people that steal your energy and bring you down. Yeah. And sometimes it's just the conscious, conscious choice that you have to make to either move away from those people and hopefully they find whatever it is that they need or, or a way for them to live more positively. But oftentimes that's on, that's their own path and exactly. you have to find your path forward. And that's happened. I can say multiple times in my life where it's shifting either who's surrounding me or sometimes it's internally too. And just saying that, and oftentimes they, they, they happen together as well. It's that personal evolution can distance you from people and vice versa. And it should. And I feel like a lot of the times when I've had people in my life, I know what maybe I shouldn't. I take personal ownership for what they're going through and I want to fix them. And I, you just have to accept that you can't fix everybody. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's well said. Um, I think a lot of people feel guilty if they leave someone behind, but yeah. sometimes you got to put yourself first. Like exactly. your own well-being um, speaks, like if you're not doing well yourself, how can you help someone else, right? Yeah, for sure. So you got to help yourself and, and kind of push the people who are, are negative or poisoning or toxic in your life away from you. And um, I'm a firm believer of the saying that uh, you're like the five closest people around you. I love that saying. Yeah. yeah. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's been something so cool about having what I would say is meaningful conversations on this podcast is just realizing there's like-minded people who want to do good things in the world. And just, it's like, it's nice to just know that there are other people in the same mindset that are wanting Mm -hmm. to do similar things. And it's, it's a sense of community and just even knowing, and it's not that you have to see people every day or anything, but just to know that you've had that conversation and it's there for you to listen to. And then, but, and, and it's, I mean, we've had all Winnipeg guests too, so it's That's true. Yeah. These are Winnipeggers doing great things and being successful in their own mm-hmm. right. So it's it's really rewarding. And that's what you should fill your social media with if you want to like lift yourself up, right? Like follow those people who are going to be putting a positive spin on your day versus the body ideals that make you feel like crap. Yeah, that's actually something we were talking about recently too and just uh, social media and our following and and how we didn't want to just kind of sell out and just kind of be one of those people like, oh, follow for follow, mm-hmm. right? But we also want to expand at the same time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I want to give people the opportunity and I had to sort, I'm always skeptical and even of my own, um, even my own devices or even my own influence to do things. So I'll, I have to self-assess and it's the measurement the existentialist measurement against the self and my experiences and what I, what are my core philosophies and morals. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically the philosophy behind that is just, just give people the opportunity to follow you. It's not that they have to or anything. And I, we're not ever going to buy followers. We're not ever going to, you, you just want to have those people that, okay, if you buy into this, this is something for you, mm-hmm. then go ahead. And the other thing is though, so I always want to be honest with things too. So Sometimes that positivity can even be false where it's, I mean, inspirational quotes. And I know that we actually, we post them or at least meaningful quotes. Or hang them on the wall. 
<laughs> yeah, these this wasn't me hanging them on the wall, but I do really enjoy that they're there as well. Yeah, it's fitting. But it's it, it sometimes it just gets to the point of okay, is this really what the person's feeling or really who they are? I think it's being honest to those those negative feelings sometimes too. Yeah, you have re- to acknowledge them or they're not going to go away. Because it's humanizing too. Yeah. In, in terms of if you're always saying I'm at level 10 and I'm perfect and everything's ama- it doesn't seem human, right? Because we all have our imperfections. We all have our, our downfalls, our bad habits. And I mean, if there's a perfect person, I don't think anybody's found them. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And that's another thing on social media is like people are posting their highlight reel. And you just have to like be conscious of that. Actually, yeah. That actually reminds me of, uh, I think, I don't know whose podcast I was listening to, but this was a while ago on how... Um, we're so bombarded by information on social media nowadays, and, and we never had that until well, maybe like ten years ago, right? Maybe a little longer, fifteen years when Facebook started up. And so now we're bombarded by all this information. But it, all this information, like things like Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook, you're usually seeing the people at their their best, like the highlight reels. Yeah. But you don't see when people are at their worst. So mm-hmm. when you see someone that's accomplishing all this, but you don't see the dark times they had to go through to get there. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. just putting it out there more is just going to, again, be humanizing and make people realize that they're not weird for having a bad day. No, yeah. Yeah, I think I've, I've done a couple of videos of just me sitting in the kitchen <laughs> before of, of either these, these things, these difficult things that I went through, but I'll typically say the optimistic outlook or something that I have on it because I would say I'm, I'm eternal optimist in the sense that no matter where I'm at, I think things will get better. That's in good, those, though. I yeah. Think. And I think it's keeping sight of that. Well, it would be despair if you were in a negative spot and think that it can't get better, right? So it's keeping that optimistic outlook. But obviously, sometimes you go through those. I think it's ebbs and flows in life where you just have to be willing to work with it. And sometimes it's you have to grind through the bottom times to to reach a new height and find a new uh, fulfillment. But I think you appreciate those peaks. When you experience those valleys, it's not, if you don't have those valleys, how can you appreciate how high you are where those accomplishments lie, right? Yeah, I agree with that. And I see people that post about wanting to be eternally happy and it just, it seems, it's super unrealistic, right? Yeah, it doesn't exist. I mean, maybe with machines or with pill form, whatever, that you could get to a state like that, but would you really, but then you would stop appreciating it. No. But what is happiness? Exactly. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> we had the philosopher on last time. So <laughs> get into a long philosophical debate. But to me, so the term that I look for now is fulfillment. And I've said this before too, but just, and it's in different realms of life. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, for me, it's having something that I'm passionate to train for. So these Spartan races, having intellectual pursuits and those social emotional relationships, mm-hmm. and just making sure. And and I would say spiritually, so the sense of keeping, and that's just making a positive difference or being a positive yeah. influence on the people around me. I think at that at the core, if that's your spiritual outlook, that you're living a healthy life. Yeah, I'd uh, say if you. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I'd say if you can change at least one other person's life, you've done a lifetime of work already. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I agree with that. Well. And, Crazy enough to think not saying that, that you should quit after changing with one person's life. <laughs> it's just like, okay, bye. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, true. But even the little things that have happened of people listening to this podcast or people that have come into contact with us, like those little changes or those little things that we've 
I don't know if you've had people reach out in the same way. I've had my own clients listen to the podcast, which I thought was crazy because I never, I didn't want to be the person that advertised to my own clients. Yeah. But then they, you know, just they ask how your day's going. And then I'd mention in passing, then they'd ask the name and then go look it up. And suddenly they're listening to every episode. I'm like, and have this positive feedback. And I'd be, I'm just amazed by it. I'm like, hey, that's awesome that, that I've had that much of an impact on you. Exactly. And it pushes you to just do more things like that. And like the projects I've done, that's, the, one of the biggest reasons, like, after uh, Chain for Change, this one guy came up to me. We were at the Common. I was just getting a beer. And I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around. This guy hugs me. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, Carly, he's like, what you've done for me and my family? Because he had his whole family there. He's like, this was a healing process. My mom passed away from cancer. And this brought us all together to heal together. Wow. See, so, uh, sometimes you don't like, know how no. you're touching someone else's life, right? Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, it's the profound impact of just bringing people together or just putting a message out there for people too. I know that I've had somebody reach out that was in a, in a dark place and said that the podcast and some things that were, well, that he looked at things that we were doing as an inspiration and that it helped him out of a dark place. And it was how, how much more, what could you ask for in terms of like, we wanted this to make an impact, but for it, even in its young stages mm-hmm. already to be having that type of impact, it means that we're doing something right. And it gives you that vote of confidence moving forward to just, continuously grow and 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 yet not want to lose sight of that core those core values and that core uh concept that this came from so i've talked about it before but just like in the past three months because i've been stuck you know homebound for the longest time and Mm -hmm. unable to exercise or work out in the normal capacity that i could that like it kind of I'm not used to that because I'm usually try to be a busy person. So mm-hmm. it's like suddenly I go from being extremely busy to, oh, now I'm home alone yeah. and stuck with my thoughts. And you're kind of, you'd learn to face them. Um, I didn't realize until then that coming onto the podcast, what a big effect that would come. Mm-hmm. I would look forward to coming doing the podcast and talk to these motivational, positive people and the changes they have. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get through this. It's just a minor setback and I'm going to be better than ever. Right. It's, mm-hmm. So it, that's incredible. And just hearing about Riley's story this year about him uh, getting into running and getting into shape and doing three Spartan races this summer, like that to me, um, I know we've talked about it before, but like that was an inspiration to me. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I want to be able to do that one day too. So let's just, you know, it's not, ACL surgery is not the end of the road. It's actually no, exactly. a good thing, right? Like yeah, that you're getting better. I'm getting better mm-hmm. and that I just got to get through this hard time to get to the better times. Exactly. Part of me can't wait for you to just meet people from the obstacle course racing community because it's it's similar minded people in the same way that are or even sports bra squad or uh, I'm going to the ledge tomorrow morning for I think it's Project November. You're going to November Project? Yeah, Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, okay. (laughs) See you there. (laughs) (laughs) That's Winnipeg for you. Who's bringing you there? Does someone recruit you? Yeah. I was going to say, uh, can I say I recruited you? Because <laughs> there's, a, there's like there a contest going on right now. Well, not a contest, but oh. if you like bring someone to recruit them, you get a ballot for like a North Face prize. Oh. oh. Well, apparently I've been recruited and who, didn't who even did know. It? Pauline. I was going to actually guess that because I saw her there last week. That's so funny. Well, I, I, was, I told her that we were having you on the podcast. So. Oh, okay. So I, I <laughs> recruited you through her, basically. No, there you go. It's, it's that. It's no, the, her client brought the her chain. there. One of her clients brought her there. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Um, so who's been the biggest influence on you? That's a big one, yeah. Um, I would have to say my parents. So I'm going to share the biggest influence because um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom until I was in high school, actually. So she literally put 
her life on hold, like ever so selflessly, just to raise four kids. And I think that's the most selfless act any person can do. And if I could be even half that, that would be life-changing. And then my dad, he, and I just recently heard this this year, like it was another like jolt thing, right? So we were just chatting and he just retired this year. Um, so that's cool for him. But uh, we were chatting. I was like, oh, do you like your job? And he's like, no. And I was like, what? Because he owned a company and stuff, right? And I was like, well, why do you do it? He's like, well, I, I had to put food on the table for you guys. Like I, I had to, I, like I wanted to provide you guys with all the opportunities and this was the best way to do it. And because he used to be a, a mechanic, like a small engine mechanic, a car mechanic too, actually. But um, he loved it. And he quit doing that so he could take over his dad's company so he could give us the best life. So if I could be as selfless as my parents one day, that is cool. God, it, it does hit that point. I think we've talked about it that you get to a point in your adulthood or young adulthood where you start to see all the things that your parents did. I mean, you hit those yeah. teenage years and oftentimes they're rebellious or you want your independence. Yeah. And even into young adulthood. I mean, I was still at home when I was in university. So it was just hitting a point of growth in my life, but then you're still at home. So it's that it's a little bit of push back and push away. Yeah. But, uh, but then when you finally move out and then how grateful you are to see each other, yeah. but then you, you take a step back and you realize all the sacrifices, all the things that they've done to put food on the table, keep a roof over your head and just yeah. provide for you. And, and yeah, it's, that's a great moment when you can just holistically love and appreciate your parents. It's the best feeling ever. And then it makes you look back on all the things you put them through and yeah. you're just like, Go through those rebellious why teen was years I like and this? <laughs> yeah, but they're literally the reason I just want to give back as much as I can. That's great that you recognize that. I think um, I think there's a lot of people that don't like mm-hmm. because it's such you, you grow up with them, so they're there, right? They're yeah. your parents. You expect them to be there, but the, the sacrifices they make for for their children are, are is quite amazing. And I know, like my mom uh, raised me pretty much single handedly, so that was huge on her part. And I mm-hmm. I almost feel guilty going back to when I was 16 years old, and it was just like the rebellious teen years. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just gonna go out drinking. <laughs> Yeah. Things like that. Oh, okay. Last weekend, um, I went home because it was, uh, we we had a wedding and me and all my siblings, we were just taking it easy that night, you know, had a glass of wine at dinner. My mom, she was just having a good time. (laughs) And then around 10 and we're all like, okay, yeah, 10 p.m. We're ready to leave. And she's like, you guys won't even have a drink with your mom. And we're like, no, like we're really tired. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going to stay. So we were the ones up waiting for her, you know, like watching the clock, texting her. She's not answering. We're freaking out. But no, it's like, Who's on the other foot now? It's it's funny. Yeah, that role <laughs> reversal. Yeah, my yeah. mom's very much the same way too. But it's nice when you can just sit down and appreciate each other's company too. One hundred percent. We do weekly dinners now, so it's oh, that's nice. yeah, it's a nice way to. Um, have there been any books that you've read that have been helpful on your path? Yes, I love books. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Um, the first one that kind of put me on a different path, and it was I met this other random guy in Thailand. And we ended up just, like, going on excursions, having the best time. Like, he was there on a business trip, but he was a super, like, cool guy. And uh, So you can't be cool if you're in business? No, no. I don't, I, don't <laughs> I, I don't know why I was so, like, oh, yeah, he's so cool. He's, but, but he's cool. He was, he was a cool guy. He was, like, I felt like I was kind of, like, still more childish at that time. And he was, like, an adult, you know. But then he recommended the four-hour work week to me. Nice. Okay. And I was, like, oh, Tim Ferriss, I don't know who this is. I didn't really read the whole book. But I started kind of reading stuff by Tim Ferriss. And I was like, okay, he's pretty cool. Then I read The Subtle Art. I'm not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. Love good that book. book. Great oh, book. So I actually just read that this year. Yeah. So good. And The Alchemist. 
Alchemist. Eh? That's on my list because it's one of the best so Incredible. personal professional development literature books out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that one was a big one. I read that when I was in Australia. And it's something you can read every year and like reevaluate where depending where you are in your life and like the context of it. So it's really interesting for that. But I read that in Australia and then this isn't a book, but it's a little email you can get every morning. It's called The Universe Talks. So if you Google TUT, it just sends like a little motivational message every morning. And I'm not even kidding. Since I started getting those, my life has done a 180. Really? Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look into that. I've never heard of that. It's so cute too. And they like you fill out a profile at the beginning and you put in like your biggest dream and all this. So in the emails, it'll address things like it'll address you by name and it'll talk about your dream sometimes. And there's always a little PS at the bottom. So don't forget to read that. But yeah, search your day off really good. Nice. I would say in a similar way, that's what the vision board that I have is. Vision it, boards are the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and hands down, I never thought I would be the per- kind of person with a vision board. It just there it was, sounds hokey. It sounds hokey. It sounds like bullshit. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, straight up. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't until I actually created one and I went, no, this is a visual representation of what I think will be fulfilling and what I would define as being successful and a life that I would be comfortable and happy mm-hmm. for the most part, but yeah. um, that I would want to live. And it's really simple. I mean, I've, I've said everything that's on it before, but the next steps get a cat. Really? Yeah. Go adopt one. Well, that's, I actually, <laughs> so part of the reason why I live where I do now is because I couldn't have a cat at my old place. Okay. And that was next on my thing. So it, it almost forced me to get the place, which that was another cat. thing yeah. on the vision board to get the cat. To, and then it, I think it all just leads into itself, right? But It's strange. The one I made before I moved to Australia, because I came home between Christmas and New Year's and I made a vision board because I do that every New Year now. But um Randomly, I cut out a piece uh, of a map, and I saw, like, Prague was on it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to go to Prague. And I circled it with a heart. The girl I ended up meeting in Australia is from Prague. We ended up becoming best friends. I visited her in Prague, and now she's living in Canada. Crazy how that works out. Right? Yeah. That synchronicity, <laughs> the things that it all seems to come together when you have that goal and that vision, and you start building towards it. And that's- that TUT email, that's mm-hmm. literally what that's all about. So I think you would both enjoy it. Yeah, cool. I'll definitely That's, check it out. <laughs> see, this is the great thing about this podcast is you learn different things. I, was, I have this I, like list I've started <laughs> from the podcast alone of just like random things, websites, articles, books that yeah. people recommend. And my book list alone has doubled since we started this thing. Do you have a database of that that we can all access? That would be <laughs> yeah, ideal. We should make one. Well, well, we have the group. Yeah, We have a book group. We haven't that, really posted And even we while, talked but. to Jessica about it too. So yeah, we, we should. I, I'm thinking bi-monthly book club is something that we should do. There we go. But, I like that idea. But then I also, want club so bad. <laughs> you want book club? Yeah, book club. And then Jessica, <laughs> she said she'd provide the snacks. I'm not. I'm not go. just volunteering. Yeah, just snacks there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least some energy bites, and apparently rosé for her, and then probably red wine for me. At least <laughs> that red sounds wine. ideal. That yeah. whole situation. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> make this happen. <laughs> there we go. And then something we already else. got Josh. So there's five. I yeah, think that's Josh already is, a club. Josh is the one that started. Yeah. Then we can recruit some other people in on it too. Do we have a criteria? Because I'm also a Stephen King fan. So <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I think I. I think I've read Stephen King before. I can't remember which book it was though. One of his next ones. So he's on my. I don't have a mantle. <laughs> so you're gonna say mantle, but on my. To read and or I've already bought it, but his on writing. So I'm okay. doing a lot of writing and I have him and Ernest Hemingway has an on writing book. I enjoy oh, the really? movies made after his books. Yeah, <laughs> The Shining. Oh, man, yeah. 
But uh, my dad's a huge Stephen King guy. My dad guy, was too. I never really gotten into it. I'm very I keep saying entrenched too. I gotta yeah, come up that's with your good yeah. word. <laughs> it is a good word. <laughs> I keep saying good, so it's fine. I put it on a shirt, apparently. Good. So yeah. Winnipeg is entrenched. But yes. entrenching. <laughs> that's sad. I forget what I was going with on this. Uh, what is something that not many people would expect about you? I'm the biggest introvert. That goes along with the books. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, because um, I'll host an event or I'll be like a co-leader run club, just things where I'm out in front of people, like on social media, like all this. No, I need to go home. I need to have quiet time. I need to just be with me. I talked to a coworker about this today that in my youth, I was an extrovert. And then I've become, an, I would say I'm almost primarily an introvert now, but then I do extroverted things. I'm able to tap into that. But yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I don't know. Like, my clients don't see it because I'm a very different person when I'm at work. Yeah. And, like, I'm outgoing, laughing, joking. Time out. <laughs> Are you a trainer at Keniston Good Life? I am. That's where you see me before. I there used to go. go to Keniston Good Life. It's a common thing. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. No, yeah, no. And people uh, point out that, like, there's no way you're an introvert. But, like, yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, being around, not that I don't like being around people, but being around uh, people, especially a lot of people. For a lengthy period of time, drains me out. It totally drains me. And so me I too. need that time to be just alone. Yeah, exactly. I find it's being able to have an on switch is important. And yeah. Yeah. a lot of times, career and brings that out in people. If you have to do any kind of sales or if you're working with clients or things, that's, that's when the extrovert comes out. And mm -hmm. then sometimes home time, you just switch it off and you become the introvert. And that's read why you books. need a cat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing is just that companionship and love and. And just having to take care of something outside of yourself is also, it's rewarding. Just it's yeah. keeping everything aligned and also, but then you get that reciprocal love in return. So it's, it seems ideal to me at this point. Have time. you tried a plant? I'm not a plant person. Okay. I'm allergic to grasses maybe. Oh. And I think pollen a little bit too. Okay, maybe don't get a plant. It's, it's been better <laughs> this year. But yeah, it would be difficult to have plants. I, I do enjoy They're the idea. They're hard to keep alive. Really? Yeah. I've I lived can't. with cats before too. Oh no, I don't mean and a cat, I mean a plant. No, no, no. I, <laughs> cats are hard to keep alive. Yeah, you gotta feed them. It's very difficult. <laughs> well, I thought you were insinuating with the plant that I should start small and then grow no. from there. But really? I've, I've kept cactuses alive. are really good. They're cacti. And succulents. What are succulents? They're these little guys that you don't have to water so much. <laughs> oh, okay. I need to get I've those. Never, I've never <laughs> yeah. heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> we go on tangents yeah. Yeah. I don't know where we started again so how do you stay on top of all these projects and what are your favorite methods to de-stress mm, I think I take on projects that my heart goes towards you know like I've been presented a few things where I'm like keen at first but then that kind of passion towards it fades away so I think staying organized goes hand in hand, in hand with like being passionate about stuff because you want to prioritize it but obviously you have to uh, prioritize things that like paying bills and whatnot. But no, uh, Google Alerts calendar stuff is my biggest thing. But what was the second part, sorry? Uh, what are your favorite methods de-stress? Reading. Definitely reading. I just like to sit on my porch. You know those uh, round chairs? I, what are the names? Round chairs. They're, I Popson chairs is what they're called. I don't know what that okay. is. They're like circular and they're just super comfy. And you can build like a little nest in Ooh, them. And nice. you just, yeah, you just read. Or going for a run. Because I just feel like lots of people say they don't think when they run. I do so much thinking. But then at the end, I feel like I've sorted things out or I have a new idea. Fine when I'm running. I always listen to music when I run, but I also think on top of that too. But I, it's almost, 
because you go through these different processes where you sink into the run and you can listen to the music and it brings up your energy. Mm. Then you go through other times. I'll also listen to down tempo music or just or even classical style music. Oh, really? So that it's it's just long drawn out songs so that I can sink into it. But then your mind sometimes just comes up with thoughts or words or you sort through things as well. I find walking more meditative and or conducive to thinking, whereas running, I'm more focused on, well, now keeping a pace or usually there's a reason. They say classical music is the best music for focus. So in terms of studying and that. So apparently it like resonates with brain. I don't know. I don't know the science behind it. Yeah, I was using Strava for a super long time. And then it's the location services on my phone started bugging out. And it would tell me it would come up with the most. So one time I went on a plane, landed, came out with the phone, and it had told me that I went 3,000 miles and two, like, it wasn't even accurate, and it was from the past 36 hours. And I went, <laughs> and I, I didn't even have the app open. So I went, there's something wrong with this. And then I, oh, I that's too bad. got rid of it. Okay, you got to get a, a watch like this. And actually, Jessica just got the same one because we met through a different. Is that Garmin? Yeah. Ah, I love okay. It. I know one of my uh, coworkers actually got one. I it's was, great. So, what were you so when I was in Calgary two weeks ago for the race, I was this close to buying a new Garmin 235. So I've done my research. I know exactly oh, which one the I want. Best. Yeah. Because then. <laughs> which it, version is this one? It's a Vivo Active 3. Okay. And that was the other one I was considering. The reason I got it is because aesthetics. Like I wanted to wear something that I would actually wear. So that was the ultimate decider for me, but it does everything I needed to do. And it automatically syncs with Strava. So that's very important. Yeah. I I like that one too, but I got sold by the other racers on the well. There's now a 935 that so expensive that Mick has. I'm running behind the times. I'm not. I'm on an old Fitbit still. So well, I have not nothing. as fancy as that. I have um, I have two feet in a heartbeat. So. That's true. <laughs> uh, so final question: If you had advice for someone trying to make a positive change in their life, what would you say to them? I'm going to rip off Nike and say, just do it. No. <laughs> we have it. I know. I was like, yeah, too. no. No, but actually, like, just think of something you want to do and do it. Because a lot of people, they ask me, they say, oh, how did you do it? And I just say, I just did it. <laughs> Figure it um, out as you go. Exactly. Because everyone's scared about something. There's going to be apprehensions all the time. But you just have to push yourself. Yeah. It was, uh, that's what I always talk about, the Jen Sincero book, where it's put this book down and start something Actually, something yeah. that you want to do i want to keep and reading just do it <laughs> yeah well that it's funny because it's part of that too right but it's it's getting the the things in motion getting the ball rolling yeah. It's i mean you can use any cliche you want but it's literally put one foot in front of the other and go do something well, that's the whatever. hardest part of doing anything is getting started exactly or just just start small like smile at someone when you're walking down the street or you know sometimes you're like walking down the street and you see someone wearing a nice sweater and you think it, you're like, oh, it's a nice sweater. Just say it to them. Yeah. It could change their whole day. And who knows? Like, for example, I was wearing these sunglasses one time and they're just like little corny heart-shaped ones. And this guy was biking beside me and we were just chatting about them. He's like, oh, your your sunglasses are really nice. And then I went to work and I'm like, oh, yeah. And I told my boss about it. You know, it's just little tiny things that can just change someone's day. Yeah. I would say I'm a firm believer in that. Just doing the small things that... The small, kind things can make a big impact. Exactly. On, I mean, it goes outward, right? If you are having a bad day, somebody's nice to you, and then you're a little bit happier to the next person, it just... Pay it forward. Pay it forward, yeah. and, it, and that energy goes outward as well. Well said. Yeah. So how can we stay up to date with Carly Tardiff? Sports 
Bra Squad and all your other projects that you're doing? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, and it's uh, at Carly underscore Tardif. Got the underscore in there. Nice. Said old school Hotmail days. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> no don't number? even know. No, no. My, okay, my old Instagram, or I mean uh, Hotmail email was Nickelback Girl underscore two. Nickelback. Girl, girl with a U. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, the MSN messenger days. One thing days. you don't know about me. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. That was more uh, the not expect question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nickelback Girl. Yeah. Um, it's funny st- because. Do you still like Nickelback? I'm going to say yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Silver Side Up is a I, great album. I like some no. of their songs. I recently posted on my Instagram story that it was an unpopular opinion, but Nickelback has some good songs. They've sold out now, in my opinion. They used to, like, I feel, be more authentic, and now they're like, oh, this works on the radio. Yeah. Which is sad. But in a way, I feel that they've almost diversified a little bit more. Before, it seemed that Nickelback was this one thing, that they just they played the same song mm-hmm. a bunch of times, and now I find that they're... A little bit harder, out. heavier, <laughs> and more intri- intricate but, and interesting they, to listen to. But they lost what made them kind of unique in the same way. Like, they don't have that sound that sounds like Nickelback anymore. Like, their old songs do, but their new stuff doesn't. I feel like we're at odds here, and Chad Kroger just come on the show and explain Chad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're Canadian. They are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah. You always forget because they become popular in the U.S., and then they tour in the States, and then they almost... But he married. He was married to Avril Lavigne. Yeah, they're divorced. They're divorced. Now. Avril Lavigne. Oh, also so Canadian. she's single again, is what you're saying. And she was married to the Sum Forty One guy before, also Canadian. Oh, really? I didn't know. We that. have this whole thing. So I can marry <laughs> lights Canada. next, is what you're saying. She's she's <laughs> yeah. still married. That's my Riley's. Crush. She's actually on my vision board as well. As really? My, yeah, I have a huge crush on. She is my Canadian crush. My Romanian pop star crush was Ina, but that's a whole different. Who is this? Romanian pop star. Why there's, do you, like, I just have so there's, many questions. There's, there's three of them. We can leave that one for, for, for off air. Uh, but yes, you can follow us on social media at Be The Change YPS on both Facebook and Instagram. And now there's an update. We finally have a new email. And website. For and, that and website. The <laughs> website, well, it is live. It'll be up by the time this... It podcast should be up by the time this podcast is out, which is really <laughs> cool. And we have some unique things that we're going to do with that, including a blog. But I, <laughs> I don't know if we'll, we'll, we maybe have some things to right, talk about like with that with first. Right now. I am really excited about that, too. I was going to say book too. club. I was like, oh. Well, that well can, that's going to be organized. Well, to the There's always now, yeah. these million and one projects, but it keeps life interesting. So the email, if you ever have questions, comments, concerns, or content, put on radio voice there. Uh, info at be the change.com. We're super official now. We got dot com, and that's the only dot that you have now. There's it used to be b dot the dot. There was a somebody <laughs> who underscores, right? Yeah, that somebody almost, created our this. entire social media almost turned into dots between every single word. And we're mm. like, yeah, I don't think that's gonna be easy to explain to everybody. Yeah, so I think those are our big announcements for this week. Yeah. All right, and subscribe on YouTube, and take care. Have a good week. (laughs) Ciao. (laughs) Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me.